All right, welcome back to episode seven of the Ten Tabs Open podcast. This is Alex Howell, and thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, we have been on quite the hiatus. My wife and I moved from uh, one house to the other to the next, and uh, because of that, we've uh, not had a few episodes in between. We actually had one recorded, uh, and uh, Corey is going to come back on tomorrow. But uh, it completely got corrupted, so I had to go out and buy a whole new freaking computer <laughs> and set up to make it happen. But um, all that being said, we're back on. And today we had on Sean O'Toole, who is the treasurer of the Missouri Libertarian Party. Uh, he worked 25 years as an agricultural commodities trader at the Kansas City Board of Trade, the Minneapolis Grain Exchange, the Chicago Board of Trade. And currently he works as a software, de- a software developer in Kansas City. I got to tell you, the re- I met Sean because I ran for the 5th District House of Representatives um, in 2018 and got absolutely curb stomped by Emmanuel Cleaver. But Sean would, um, he was there pretty much all the time at the meetings of the Kansas City Libertarian Party. And I noticed that he was just one of those guys that the rest of the, everybody else in the room, when a subject was brought up that had a lot of appeal and a lot of different points, there would be a moment where it would stop and would go to him. And he would always have something very intelligent, very philosophical to say. And so I was very, uh, very excited to be able to book him. And it's taken about uh, two and a half, three months to actually get him on, uh, just schedules and that kind of thing. But it was a very good conversation. I uh, hope you guys can last through the whole thing because it was a, it was a two-plus-hour conversation. But the, the guy knows what he's talking about, hyper-intelligent individual. Uh, Sean O'Toole, Missouri Libertarian Party. Hope you guys enjoy, and uh, thanks for sticking around. Are these are these mics? Uh, you're probably driving some power into them as well. Yeah, yeah. So, yep. yeah, you get a lot better clarity. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. I, I picked up one. God, what was it? We're, we're on. Um, but I picked up one probably six years ago. And it was one of those, like, I started a podcast. I thought I was going to do it. And I realized that me talking into a microphone for, like, 15 minutes, I was like, I'm going to bore this shit out of somebody. It's hard to do. Yeah. So I was like, well, what are we going to do? So then I just listened to and watched a bunch of podcasts and i i loved the people that they were able to bring on and the first one i found was joe rogan mm, sure um who'd probably be one of the better libertarian candidates you could ask for because no he has there's not really much he hasn't done mm-hmm. or has an opinion on but um but it was just one of those things like i'm just watching like I, as much as i would watch the interview i'm like okay so what do they have they have two mics they got that set up the audio set up okay i'm gonna try it now yep and um it was interesting because the first people i reached out to uh, were friends of mine that had good stories, and I talked to them a lot in the past. And I was like, "Well, I'll just bring them on, and they can talk about whatever they want to talk about." You figure out pretty quickly that a lot of people aren't really conversationalists. <laughs> 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 the the people that can entertain an entire room and that kind of thing can be a little quiet when you get them one on one, and they know that they're being recorded. Um, but then you know you have somebody like my buddy Corey, who uh, he's a he's a history teacher at uh, the Barstow School, and he's mm-hmm. working on his doctorate from Mizzou. And one of the smartest guys I know, and he's probably, if I had to sit down and just talk to somebody for five hours, it would be that guy because he can just go. Yep. Like, here's my subject. Here's what we're talking about. And I'm going to make it sound, I mean, he's the per, in the perfect position as a teacher 
because he makes this thing what he's talking about interesting and he can relate to the people that he's talking to which are you know freshmen and sophomores in high school that sure. need somebody relatable mm-hmm. so sean o'toole thank you for coming on thank you for having me <laughs> so um i'm sure we'll go into a little bit more about your position and kind of where you came into this but um, I really wanted to have you on because every single time that I'd go to one of the meetings for the Kansas City Libertarian Party, I felt like there would be conversation, and then when somebody needed a moment of clarity, when somebody needed somebody calm, <laughs> they could actually explain something, go through it, and just sit back and say, I'm not, like, it's not that I'm not invested in this, but we need to bring it back to the actual issue. All eyes went to you. And so every meeting that I've gone to that you've been there, it's just been like, okay, I've, I've got to get this guy here. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I think uh, I'm probably good at uh, I, I'm probably good at faking authority more than anything, <laughs> which is sometimes what it takes. Well, I mean, if you've got if you have the ability to do that, then at least you're the person in the room that can kind of guy. I mean, if you're faking authority, you're still being the authority on something. Well, so that's right. <laughs> as long as you kind of follow through with it and you're involved in, you know, the Missouri Libertarian Party over over um, your what is your position in the Missouri I'm the treasurer of the party have been since I believe 2011, which makes sense because you run for auditor of the state of Missouri. Right. Yep. Run for auditor twice, run for treasurer twice. I like low profile offices. Yep. I, I, I don't. I'm not a natural crowds person. I, I, I'm not the rah-rah guy who's going to stand up in front of a crowd and bring bring people up to uh, an elevated pitch. Uh, uh, we have people that are better at that than me. Uh, I tend to be, like it or not, I tend to be more of the policy guy yep. and uh, can pa- patiently go through and say, well, this is why we should be doing it this way and why, why that way perhaps has failed. Yeah. And so those kinds of roles tend to work out well in the treasurer's race and the auditor's race. And the other side of it, auditor especially, I think is really an office that should be held by somebody who's not in a major party. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I have a real strong opinion about that. And the treasurer's side, if, if I have a political hero, and I really don't have political heroes because I really don't like politics. I'm a libertarian because I don't like politics. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, if I have a hero, it's a guy named Bob Matson. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably still alive today, probably 10, 12, 14, 15 years older than me. He was the state treasurer of Minnesota when I lived up there, I'm going to say maybe in my 30s, something Mm -hmm. like that. Matson's father had been a state representative, and uh, Minnesota doesn't have term limits, so he had been in forever. And then he was a state representative, and then he ran for state treasurer on the platform of eliminating the office. And I said, that's a guy I can vote oh, for. Oh, heck yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and it took him, I think, two terms to completely enact. Initially started off right from the get-go working toward eliminating the office in a responsible manner. There are things that the treasurer of the state does that are important to do, and so he needed to build the infrastructure to make that happen as just a cabinet position of the governor's office. Mm-hmm. But there's, honestly, there, the, in the state of Missouri, for instance, what you have is, is uh, you've got uh, investment policy decisions are, are not made entirely by the treasurer, but, but there's a lot of advice that comes mm-hmm. from the treasurer and investment policy. Much of that policy, there's very little latitude on. Uh, the state legislature has written rules as to what the state can invest its money in and where it can invest it, so there just aren't that many options. But in terms of, uh, uh, they then start putting together programs. For instance, I uh, uh, can't think of who was uh, uh, 
Clinton's Zweifel was a treasurer up until probably uh, three, four years ago. Zweifel, a Democrat, had uh, pushed for uh, a small business and farming loan program mm -hmm. that was made with state funds rather than putting them into other investments. And his contention was that uh, this was a good program, good for Missourians, of course. He always said, good for Missouri, mm -hmm. you know, good for the money. Because you never present something that was bad. <laughs> Why would you? Exactly. But at the this end is of the awful day, for our people. Right, exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, a great example of it was uh, there was a sheet metal operation uh, either in northeast, I think actually on the Blue River Bottoms, so call it okay. kind of adjacent to northeast there. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I've never met the man who runs the operation, probably a fine man, probably a great businessman, but uh, had applied for and obtained a half a million dollar loan to buy uh, a piece of, uh, of fabricating equipment that his competitors didn't have, which put him at an advantage to his competitors. But let's ask, who, <laughs> paid, who paid for that machine? At the end of the day, whose tax dollars paid for that machine? Oh, exactly. Certainly he did, but his competitors paid too. Yeah. And it just doesn't seem appropriate that government is out there picking winners and losers. Yeah, well, and potentially not only did his competitors pay for it, but his competitors' clients. and Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I think that is at its core because one of the things I really wanted to, to talk to you about because I, I've been conflicted in the last year, not because my, my stances have changed on anything, but mainly because you start working things out in your mind and you need – you know, you need friends, you need family, and you need outside sources. You need third parties to bounce ideas off of. And, like, I basically decided that my goal was going to be I'm going to, for the next few years, I'm going to read every biography of people that I like, that I don't think I like, that I very much dislike. And I'm going to try to figure out what it is, one, that made them who they were, one, what made them great, and what made them awful, or at least not, not as good as you think. And, you know, you... Uh, Hamilton the musical is huge right now so my one of my first biography actually I think it was my first biography in the last year and a half was um, Ron Chernow's Alexander Hamilton and of course once you read Ron Chernow I just fell in love with how his writing style was but I'm reading about him and it was a very interesting thing because it's so much uh, like you s just figure out that historically you fight the same arguments every day every hour every minute <clears throat> and his fight once he became Secretary of the Treasury, was very much a fight that we're having today. Now, he was an incredibly intelligent individual. The people around him were incredibly intelligent. Not infallible, but smart. And his idea to have a funded debt is what really drove he and Jefferson apart. And at the same time, he also said, and Jefferson never talked about this, but even in his letters and everything that he wrote, it's like, I want to have it to establish our credit and then pay it off. And so people look at or, uh, Alexander Hamilton and they say, he likes debt, and here's why it's a good thing. People look at Thomas Jefferson and say, no, states' rights and everything else. But if you look at it, it's really a combination of those two things. Like, that's, it's the, it is the perfect definition of what America is. It's like you're looking at a situation where two men, hyper-intelligent people, both wanted to do everything they possibly could to help the nation and disagreed completely on how to do it. But both of them realize that there were issues like count points and counterpoints to their arguments. Where we've gotten today, like the Libertarian Party would seem just the norm. It might even seem a little more, you know, I don't want to say socialist, but it might even seem a little bit more government friendly at the time than it does did to them because they were dealing with the beginnings. So it's interesting to me to see you go from 
absolutely no issue with Thomas Jefferson. He no debt, states' rights. That's it. To Alexander Hamilton saying no, states' rights are good, but we also have to have a strong federal government. And they knew that from the Articles of Confederation. So, with somebody who represents the you know Libertarian Party and the Libertarian Party of the State of Missouri, somebody who's run for office and that kind of thing, when you look at the the historical arguments and what we're doing today it's got to be one of the most frustrating things because we you know we have a a party on the right with republicans who campaign on being fiscally conservative and when you pass a one trillion dollar deficit you you can no longer ever make that claim again that's correct and democrats four out of eight years with president obama's administration did the exact same thing right but but they're giving the people what they want yeah. At the end of the day, they're giving the people exactly what the people want. The Republicans want money spent just like the Democrats want money spent. The difference is how the Republicans consider paying for it, and it's and that's changing as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Republicans, and I, I should say this, I mean, the Democrats uh, wanting to pay for things with taxes, uh, they don't want taxes for everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's... it's uh, at the end of the day, they want they want a, a far more progressive tax situation than we have today, and uh, they they have their uh, their people who will stand up and say, "Oh well, this is right." Uh, we have Warren Buffett, and uh, mm-hmm. who am I thinking of? Uh, uh, um, hedge fund manager uh, Ray Dalio. Oh, who yeah. uh, you know, it just came out in the last couple of days that Ray uh, made more money with his hedge fund than anyone else in the United States this past year. And <laughs> it's really easy to talk about income inequality when you are at the absolute top of the game, as far as income goes. And, yeah. and, and you know, Warren Buffett, on the other hand, is a different story. Warren Buffett has had a tax avoidance strategy since you know, he learned that from his father, mm-hmm. uh, who was was a, w- was an old right Republican and, and a, a very definite anti-taxer. And Warren learned from the old man, look, don't pay the taxes. Yeah. And, and Warren can say, look, my secretary pays more than taxes than I do, but that's because Warren built a business that doesn't pay tax. That's exactly. what it's designed to do. But, uh, yes, I mean, getting back to your original point, yeah, you, you look at, at, at Jefferson, you look at, at, uh, at Hamilton, both bright men, without a doubt, uh, and, and far more in the libertarian camp than anyone is on the national scene today with, mm-hmm. any, with any real power or, or, or voice uh, in, in the United States at this point. Uh, but uh, it, it, what, what intrigues me about Hamilton, and I, I've not seen the musical Hamilton, but mm-hmm. you know, the left is all in love with this man who did yeah. all these wonderful <laughs> things. At the end of the day, we're talking about a man who w- was you know, dragged kicking and screaming out of mercantilism, mm-hmm. uh, he at the tail end of the 18th century, this mercan the mercantile efforts of, of 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 many of the founders of the United States. That's what they were used to. They were used to a, a monarchy and a mercantile structure. I mean, we have a mercantile president. We have we have a president who is is trying to recreate the 18th century all over again mm-hmm. as a mercantilist. It, it's very interesting that the left is so vehemently against Trump's policies, not just the man. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, th- he, I think Donald Trump could do an awful lot of good for himself by standing up, having a fireside chat, and just saying, look, I'm a 
I'm a jerk. Yeah. Most people don't like me. My kids don't even like me. Mm-hmm. But look, this is what I plan to do, and this is why I plan to do it. Instead, he tries to make it like people like him, and yeah. ev- everyone's infuriated by it. But mm-hmm. get over the fact you don't – I think he has an inferiority complex. You don't need to be liked yeah. to make things happen, and no one likes him, and no one ever has liked him. So it's yeah. uh, let's move on from there and, and, and get things done. But the, uh, the th- I think it, it's just interesting to look at – if you go to core policies – the mm-hmm. core policies of Alexander Hamilton and the and the the beliefs and the core policies and beliefs of Donald Trump are far more similar mm-hmm. than Hamilton and Jefferson or Trump and Jefferson by any means. Yeah, well, it's I mean the entire reason that he was able to create what he created was because he looked around and went, states haven't set real tariffs yet, they haven't established that yet. That's our funding mechanism. The pro the I get not the problem, I guess in my opinion a problem, but the argument for exactly what you said was Trump has established tariffs in a different for a different reason I would say, yes. but when you're a libertarian looking at it the other issue is like, yeah you're doing that but at the same time buddy you also have an income tax, you have sales tax you have property tax you have every tax that people are paying. And now on top of that, you're also establishing a tariff, which is another tax. Sure. Well, mercantilism also is protectionism as well. Oh, so yeah. It's, it's not just the, the tariffs. It's, it's, it's the protectionist attitude that goes along with it as well. Yeah. It's the concept of, of the, the general derogatory look at other nations saying, look, we'll, uh, we'll, you, you just supply us the raw materials. We'll build these things, and then we'll sell them back to you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it works out really well for third world countries in that situation uh, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I travel back and forth to India for work, and 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 uh, uh, there's not a lot of knowledge of American politicians in India. They're it's they're they're just not that associated with what goes on in the United States. Yeah, but uh, they do understand that during the Trump administration and actually during the latter years of the Obama administration. Uh, H-1B visas, uh, uh, not uh, well. H-1Bs and any other any other travel visas have become much more difficult to obtain. Yeah. And here we sit in a country that has well. Let's look at the city in particular, the city of Kansas City. Anyone who is in the computer programming business that that, that hires developers will tell you that we're about 2,500 developers short of needs. Yeah. In Kansas City, of senior developer level people, people with six, seven, eight years experience minimum that, that uh, can operate as a, as a team lead or a senior developer. These, uh, th- there are plenty of junior level developers coming up. There were all the coding camps, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people coming out of school with, with degrees in computer science that are not going to be useful uh, to the degree that a senior developer is for a period of time. There's, uh, right. there's a period of time of learning that, that just goes on and, and it's acclimation and, and uh, think of it almost as an apprenticeship. Well, there's a school not far from here uh, in the summit, the uh, uh, the the Twin City or uh, the the local Kansas City campus mm-hmm. of uh, of University of Central Missouri. They have a master's degree program in computer science, huh. and in the fall of 2011, I was having a conversation with one of the staff members there who told me that they had, uh, I believe, 2,500 Indian nationals going through the program. And, uh, you know, it happens, just we happen to need 2,500 developers. They've got 2,500 in the program yeah. at, at any <laughs> given time. And, of course, all those people aren't going to stay in Kansas City, but they're certainly going to try. Well, when the, the, the economic policies of, of the Trump administration uh, altered to uh, uh, make uh, obtaining H-1Bs more difficult, 
a lot of those people picked up and looked at it and said, you know, I'm getting a master's degree from an unknown state, middle-level state college yeah. in the middle of the United States. This is not going to put me at Google. It's not going to put me at Apple. Right. Uh, I don't need to stay. I was here <sighs> to get a job in Kansas City. Yeah. I don't know what the program is today, but I know it's under 1,000 students. Uh, and uh, and the problem is is that a lot of these people would have turned out to be good developers for yeah. the Cerners of the world, the Sprints, and every other every other company that needs developers. And, yeah. and uh, we just continue to battle that. And you know the, the the Indian Indian subcontinent certainly has a lot of software development there. But mm -hmm. read an article while while I was there, eighty percent of the people graduating college in India with a technical degree, an engineering type degree in computer science, mechanical engineering, civil engineering, what have you, 80% of their graduates are not qualified to work in that field at graduation. They've got the same difficulties with their educational program that we do where there are a lot of programs far, uh, popping up that just don't really yeah. fit the need. Right. And, and what do you do? Well, <coughs> the H-1B issue has been just something that I feel like anybody who looks at it for five minutes or more bangs their head against a wall. Because this is what we used to love to do. Right. Like, to, in my mind, they should be giving out, like, like candy. Like if you, and maybe I'm wrong in some aspects where you should look at it a little bit further, but at the same time, if you have somebody that has the skills to make an American company better, bring them over. Well, not just that. Let's try to look through and try to find me a top-rated technology company in the United States that doesn't have a foreigner or first-generation American on board at the top or yeah. within that top circle, uh, you know, Google, Apple. Uh, I, I guess we could say Microsoft, mm -hmm. but, uh, but uh, very, very few. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, uh, th there's anyone who's got the ambition to get on the figurative boat and mm -hmm. come to the United States already has a lot more gumption than the average kid in the United States. And, yeah. and uh, they're out there trying to make a better life for themselves, whether they're in computer software or, or some other form of engineering, or whether they just want to roof my house. Yeah. I can't find anybody else to roof my house. Yeah. No, I... I I grew up with that. I told you that my uh, my dad was a floor installer growing up. So we in in the boom, we saw a lot of new construction, and I heard from a lot of roofers, especially. Um, you know, I can't believe you know it, it's the it's the old comment of I can't believe they're coming up here and they're stealing my job. They're doing this. They're doing that, and you know it, it always it frustrated the hell out of me, and I know it really frustrated the hell out of my brother because the word Mexican was thrown around like a cuss. Like, these Mexicans are coming up, and they're doing this. My brother is literally half Mexican, and they're sitting here. He's my half-brother. I never refer to him as that until I'm trying to qualify a statement because we're very close. But he, um, his mom, full-blooded Mexican, mm -hmm. and great heritage. Um, I mean, amazing family. And, you know, they'd say this to my brother, who looks white. He looks like anybody else walking down the street. Right. And it's like, you insensitive prick, number one. Mm -hmm. And number two, it's like, I've watched them roof, <laughs> put roofs on five houses today. Right. How you doing? Well, the other <laughs> side of this, 
the, the reason that we haven't got more Americans willing to roof houses is because they can do other things. Yeah. I mean, the Mexican laborers coming up and, and, and you know, walking on roofs, falling off roofs, mm-hmm. uh, have put a lot of guys in a lot of safer positions where they ultimately end up making more money. I mean, yeah. I realize some guys that are just not going to do anything but roof houses, as far as, as far as their construction abilities go, it's laying out shingles, and that's about where it ends. Yep. Uh, I get it. But there are a lot of guys that are now involved in framing or moved on to finished carpentry mm-hmm. that started out on a roof somewhere. Yeah. And when they realized, hey, these guys are coming in and they're starting to uh, they're starting to work pretty cheap. I better figure out something else. Mm-hmm. And the other side of it is, do I want to? If I live in the central or southern United States, do I want to get that much sunburn every year? Yeah. Getting pounded up there and. I mean, how many guys fall off a roof every year? You know, yeah. it's, it's uh, if if you can prevent yourself from doing it and move on, do something else. You know, it's an uptick in life. Yeah, well, I mean, there every, I shouldn't say every, but almost every comedian has some bit, you know, about are you going to pick your own fruit? Because they're always talking about you know the fact that it used to come up, you know, the you know, the Mexicans would come up, they'd work in California f- for that season, and yeah. then they'd go back. And my wife and I wish to God I had it written down because it was it was an amazing um, study. But one thing that really just kind of solidified my views on immigration was she sent me this link and it was not a, you know, a, an Internet link where it's like BuzzFeed said that this is happening. It was, you know, a, a peer reviewed uh, article where they basically talked about every single time the United States of America invests a large sum of money in border security, illegal immigration gets worse. Mm -hmm. Because border security sounds good. We're securing our border. Making sure the terrorists who have never come from Mexico don't come back or don't come in. And it's always like the one certain, like the, you know, a year or two ago, I can't remember exactly when it was, but the, you know, the girl that was killed by an illegal immigrant. It's like, that's awful. That's horrible. That's one of 19 million. And I feel horrible for a family and her family. I give a 100% pass to you can hate as much as you want because I can't even imagine. No doubt. But every one of us has to look at themselves in the mirror and say, what do you see on the news every single night in Kansas City? Mm-hmm. A murder, a rape, something terrible happening. Those are citizens killing each other every day. Right. Like, but it was interesting to me, the economics behind it. If we're going to put $25 billion into building a wall, because that's always the thing, the wall, the wall, the wall. If we're going to put that much money into it, can we please conduct a study, a real study this time, not not a I'm the president for four years and I've got to shove this down everybody's throat, because most presidents do that, but a, a good study that can really show that this doesn't work, and they already have it, but it's not politically positive for anybody. Right, and so it's not going to get used. It's, it's only going to get used if somebody can use it to get ahead. Exactly. Well, it's true. I mean, if if you look at the amount of of you you would expect because El Paso, Texas is, I mean, virtually an entire entirely Mexican town. You mm-hmm. would think that El Paso, right on the border, would be all sorts of trouble. Yeah, El Paso has a far lower crime rate than than Kansas City or yeah uh, or or and and take it to a size of I I don't know how many people live in El Paso, so I don't know if I'm talking about a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand or what it is, but let's look at cities within their 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 size range their their population range and i'll tell you i'm sure el paso is going to come out looking better than most of them Mm -hmm. consistently has been yeah because why is it a big issue 
in my opinion is, and not that I'm a big fan of taxes in general and how they're they're collected, but that was always my issue when I was going through my finance program. It was like, okay, so the, I remember it just clicking in one of my classes, probably because I had a professor that was very um, progressive on the subject. But when you think about taxes, it's like, well, who's paying? The company, the individual owner, the, the self-employed person is paying a contract or whatever it might be. It's like, they're not paying the taxes on this side, but they're responsible for reporting. So normally, there's a citizen behind the company, and they're paying somebody that they know is probably illegal. We can look past that. We cannot. But th this is a problem that a lot of people don't have an issue with until it directly affects them in a negative way, just like everything else. Mm -hmm. And there's no answer to it. Because the answer to, you know, for most people is let's invest a lot of money and try to, like, secure ourselves as much as possible. But it never works. Right. So. Well, if you look at historically, when have we had difficulties with immigration in this country? And I shouldn't say difficulties with immigration. I should say difficulties with people accepting immigrants. Right. Uh, we've had these problems primarily when we've been in, in periods of turmoil in the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is a period of turmoil. I mean, it's from probably late 1980s to the present. It's been a very difficult time. I mean, there's there's. Uh, the technological change and how it affects the job market's been a, a big, big thing. Mm -hmm. And it's going to continue to be a big thing for a long time. But historically, through the centuries, when in periods of, 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 in periods of great unknown, people have lashed out against people who don't look like them. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's just standard fare. Well, uh, yeah. Like California in the 1840s and 50s. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's an interesting thing. So, because you're the libertarian representative on the show. <laughs> what, um, one thing that you see in those situations with, with labor and with everything else is the at least um, prescribed libertarian mindset is let, let it get figured out. In almost every situation is let the market figure it out, let the people figure it out, it will eventually get figured out, no matter what the problem is, financial, immigration, whatever. Two problems then occur. Either the government oversteps or it doesn't do enough. And libertarians, I think, at least if you see the message boards that I've seen, the comment sections that I've seen, and this is where I want to kind of progress the conversation into infighting a bit, is I don't think there is a question in most people's mind that at some point on certain issues, not all, but in certain issues, government has to step in. We're not the same country today if Abraham Lincoln doesn't say slavery's done. We're not the same country today if um, there's not an end to the Cold War. And that's a government issue that eventually got stopped. And we can go back and forth about the positives, negatives, before, during, and after. But when you look at the situations that are coming up today, where do you see the effective positive of the federal government and the horrifyingly negative, because where I see the horrifyingly negative is our, I don't even want to call it a war effort, just the constant state of warfare that we're in. But in a positive way, I can see individuals saying there are poor in our country, there are sickly in our country, we have to take care of them. What's your answer to, I don't want to say what's the, what's the whole libertarian mindset on that, and please speak for the whole party, but just in the, I guess in the general concept of, when does government need to step in as opposed to when does it just need to get the hell away? Because I feel like it gets in the way too many times. 
but there have to be times where it's defined as yeah probably makes sense right now well the government is the adjudicator of of justice of justice uh it's it's the final call on what is fair and what is not uh, that's really good statement like i'm just going to clip that okay. <laughs> unfortunately i think that we we have people who pander to one side or the other who decide what that fairness what that fairness is all about mm -hmm. is that fairness about providing everyone with education and and now of course the uh Democrats in the presidential field are talking about how do we make that education, uh, how do we provide education up through four years of college? Yeah. Uh, uh, I think the, I'll, I'll go back and say, I, I, well, how many people have said this, but the government that government governs best governs least. Mm -hmm. I think you need a, a baseline <coughs> set of rules and you need and I'm not convinced that it takes governmental people to 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 enforce those mm -hmm. rules and to adjudicate what is fair and not fair within those rules. But I think if you're going to use a governmental structure to have law enforcement and to have courts and to have that entire process, I think it needs to limit itself to the role of adjudicator. It's it's let's let's just decide what is right and wrong based upon the circumstance as it as, as it arises. I don't want to get too far afield, but if you if you think about if if you think about the minimum wage, for instance, we have the and this is typically the way that it works. The left starts out at now it's the let's all be fair and pay people fifteen dollars. Mm -hmm. Uh, the right is still against that, but at some point in time, the right will own that, just mm -hmm. as the right owns Obamacare now, and the right owns Social Security, and everything that they preached against, they own now. they got to yep. have it because it's theirs. Yep. Uh, but when, when we look at things like government mandating a minimum wage, I think we have to look at all sides of this. Yes, there are people who are going to benefit. Absolutely, there are people who are going to benefit. That, that guy was making... You know, thirteen, fourteen dollars an hour. Who's now going to make fifteen dollars an hour? He's going to benefit, mm -hmm. but no one ever is willing to talk about the costs of such legislation and such fiat rules. Yeah. Uh, for instance, uh, there are a lot of people that are getting paid current minimum wage, seven and a quarter or whatever it is in the state of Missouri, mm. who, quite frankly, aren't worth the seven and a quarter. Yeah. Uh, and and there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, in some cases, they're uh, they're mentally handicapped, and they're on some sort of a program, and they're 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 really not contributing. Uh, mm -hmm. I, and I'm not blanket saying that people who have mental handicaps are are, are not contributors. No, I'm but saying there are those that are in that situation. There's a subsidy. There's a subsidy in another way. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, let's also though look at the high school student who's getting his first job. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, uh, doesn't have a skill set yet. Doesn't, and unfortunately, due to the what, what, what's occurred, I don't know if it's a family thing or an educational thing or whatever it is, has absolutely no clue uh, how he should act in the job scenario mm -hmm. situation or anything. Doesn't know how to act around people that aren't his family or his friends. Uh, it's going to take time for those people to pick up and learn what they need to move on to a level where they can make more money. Yep. Uh, you know, Ray Kroc, uh, you know, is, is in many ways reviled for, uh, for, for, <laughs> for starting the fast food revolution in this country. But uh, uh, what he did, uh, 
for many years, Raycroft was the largest, probably is today, the largest employer of kids in high school. First yeah. job. It, it, McDonald's is your first job. And, of course, now it's other franchises and not just McDonald's. But that, that concept of giving somebody a first job, letting them learn, knowing that they're not going to stay forever, and if they do choose to stay, eventually they'll work their way up into a management-type position. Mm-hmm. Or if they don't, then they're not they're worth what they're worth exactly yeah. but but very few people stay at a minimum wage yeah. for a long period of time 100 uh, percent. i've got a guy when i had my apartment buildings in northeast i had a guy that did work for me that i paid about ten dollars an hour to and you know for ten dollars an hour i could employ him but he wasn't a detail guy i'd have mm-hmm. him do some demolition in a, in a in an apartment building and he'd miss corners and things and yeah. i'd have to go back and clean all that stuff up at the end of the day he was worth 10 bucks an hour to me to get the really heavy stuff out of the way, and then I'd come in and do the cleanup work. But could I pay him $15 an hour? Probably not. I'd yeah. have to think real seriously about it. I'd right. find somebody else who was worth $15 an hour. Yeah, if you're going to pay it, yeah. Exactly. And so in a case like that, we take a guy who, who works hard for 10 bucks an hour and, and, and doesn't it doesn't look very fair because he's busting his butt out there to make $10 an hour. Mm-hmm. But frankly, that's what he's worth. I, I can't yeah. find a I can't find a reason to not find somebody better. Yeah. What was it, it's it's such an interesting argument to me on minimum wage because I completely agree with the, with with you on the subject matter. The I think the issue that I get into um, on my side is I don't. And again, I'm 100% on your side. I'm trying to figure out how to verbally express what what my issue is with it. Is I don't think there are enough people who, and again, this goes back to, again, another libertarian argument, which is we have a mandated education system that doesn't teach things that it needs to teach. Correct. And my favorite one is always April 15th is coming up. Thank God it's uh, Pythagorean. Pythagorean. What is it? The Pythagorean. Pythagorean oh. theorem? Yes. For whatever reason, I can't say it. Pythagorean theorem. Thank God it's that season because I needed to do that today. It's like as opposed to taxes. Yes. Like, and that's always been my issue is if you really get into it and you don't understand tax law, you don't understand how these things work, you don't understand cost of goods sold, you don't understand why those are deducted from a business's tax return, then you can't understand why like certain businesses don't pay taxes. Mm-hmm. It's like, they have wages, they have payroll taxes, they have cost of goods sold, they have all of these things, and if all of those at the end of the day add up to what their taxes should have been, they don't pay any. It's not that they didn't spend money. It's not right. that they didn't buy something from your organization or your friend's organization or your brother's organization. It's that at the end of the day, that's our tax system. And if you hate it, write your congressman. Right. But when it comes to the education system, that's where I notice it the most is – I can go up to somebody and I do this as much as I possibly can every time I get into this argument with somebody, and it's not often. Um, it, I try to make it sound like it's every day, but <clears throat> it's not. It's every once in a while I'll get into an argument with somebody who is just vehemently $15 an hour. That's the minimum wage. Okay. Let's say right now, before we pass that, I have three people that I employ at $10 an hour. You just caused 33.333% unemployment because you decided that a $15 minimum wage 
was good. We'll just pay them 15 instead of 10. Yeah. That's the <laughs> argument. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, like mine is just like if you're really looking at it, it's like if I know based on my books, based on everything that I have, my budget says I have $30 to spend per hour on labor. But the budget means nothing. Yeah. You can, you can pay the money. That's yeah. that's you're you, you you're uh, you know, I, I don't want to get into the all of the negativity of it, but you're a white male. You can pay the money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, it's the way it is. That's the best argument. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's it's uh, the, the other area similar to minimum wage that is an amazing. And sorry, just before you keep going. That's my favorite thing about math is it doesn't matter. That's right. <laughs> At the end of the day, it doesn't. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's all optional. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, but but uh, <laughs> the other part of, of of the whole labor picture that the federal government could step in and help with, there there are some regulations at the federal level with regard to employment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the labor department is certainly large. There are certainly things they do, but what the federal government could do is they could step on the state governments that have created the various licensing boards that have gotten out of control. Uh, just as we've had education inflation where it now takes a college degree to get a job doing virtually anything mm-hmm. that would it, that took you know, an eighth grade education for our grandparents, yep. the same can be said of, of licensure mm-hmm. and, and uh, certification. Uh, in the 1950s, and I, this is from memory, I think I might be off on maybe by a point or two, but not much. In the 1950s, the labor force in the state of Missouri, which was typically pretty typical for the United States, was 15% licensed or certified to do their job mm-hmm. in the 1950s. Today, 85% is. Uh, it's, and if you look at where people are making money, if you look at where innovation is coming from, if you look at any of these things, they're not in licensed trades. Yeah. Yes, I mean, surely uh, lawyers and doctors are making money. Uh, yeah. But that's part of that is uh, the lawyers don't seem to understand how to control their numbers. You've got too many of them, and, and they know it. They're now working at Starbucks. But mm-hmm. the American Medical Association has for years limited the number of doctors that are allowed to, or, or students that are allowed to go to med school. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and they limit, uh, states limit the number of, of, in the state of Missouri, you have to have a uh, certificate of need in order to build a hospital. <laughs> so, for instance, uh, and you know who sits on the board? Because heaven forbid. You know who sits on the board? Oh. Oh, it's HCA and uh, all these wonderful course. other companies <laughs> that, that make a decision as to who, who needs, wh- whether a community needs a hospital. But <laughs> getting back specifically to, to, to credentialing, uh, I mean, just the... The old one that that uh, Institute for Justice has fought against uh, things like hair braiding. When I had my buildings in Old Northeast, I had a lady who did African hair braiding in my building, mm-hmm. and and she hid it for the first six months. That uh, she was there when I bought the building, and she hid it. And then one day, I happened to see some things in the apartment. It was clear that she was uh, she had a lady there, and she was doing some work. And I said, "That's kind of cool. What are you doing?" And she's like, she was like terrified and and a couple days later i saw her in the hall and she said mr o'toole i just I, I i don't i don't want you to think that you know i'm running a business here and i said well if you weren't running a business you probably wouldn't be able to pay your rent yeah exactly <laughs> like no i'm the happiest person in the room that you're running a business <laughs> that's right <laughs> I, I said are you doing hair braiding and she said she said yeah and i said uh you know 
have at it. You know, if you want to bring a friend in to double up your numbers, you know, that's that's cool. I have no problem with that whatsoever. Yeah. And she was extremely relieved and she became a good friend. I mean, she yeah. she 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 saw me as somebody who understood that 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 you know, here was a woman without an education who had a skill and she could make a living doing this and pay her rent and buy food and take care of her kids. Oh my god, so you mean without government intervention she was good to go? Yeah. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> So how does the, how does the federal government help? Well, the federal government could the Department of Labor could uh, could look at a lot of job qualifications mm-hmm. and just say at the at the federal level, look, we don't think these are things that the states should be enforcing regulations on. I yeah. get it. I'm 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 all for states having a fair bit of autonomy. We have 51 or 50 <laughs> 51 <laughs> including DC, but yeah. uh, la- laboratories of of, of of economic you know economic laboratories to see what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. Well, they're a state, they just don't have any voting rights. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> no, they have voting rights, there's no state. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, great. Uh, uh, yeah. But regardless, I I, I think that uh, that's an area that the federal government could step in and, and, and help out with. Uh, when you ask me, you know, what what uh, what roles the government can play in, in making society better, making people's lives better and that sort of thing, I think it's they could, the heavy hand of government making less government at the local and state level is a is a shot. I don't think that yeah. there are a lot of people who would agree with me on that. I think that most people would say, well, most most conservatives and libertarians would say, well, let the uh, let the states do their own thing, mm-hmm. and, and keep the federal government out of it. Uh, yeah, in general, I'm I'm all for that. But the states have done a pretty poor job of making uh, of 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 protecting one set of workers from a potential no- other set of workers who might come in and compete with them. Yeah, I, I take it. I take the the Austrian economic view that everything should be based on the consumer. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we look at the consumer, and 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 for for some great reference on this, go back. There are a series of videos from the late 1990s that Jeff Bezos mm-hmm. uh, made uh, or was was featured in, where he talks about his business. And I, I remember one in particular where they keep saying, "Well, you're an internet company," and he's like, "You know, I'm not." Really, I use the internet. That's great, but what I am—I'm a customer service company. I sell things to people. Yeah, but you're an internet company. That makes a lot of sense. And he's like, no, no. He said it's, and they—they they would say such things as well. You know, if you, you know, what would you say to your customers who think they're think that you're they're buying an internet company? He says, well, I think they should think of me as a customer service company, and they should want me to serve customers better than other people do because yeah. it'll make me grow, regardless of the medium that I use—be it the telephone, be it the newspaper, be it the internet. Who cares? Yep. At the end of the day, if you bring things to consumers at a reasonable price, if you treat consumers well, they'll make you money. What a concept. What an odd concept. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, th- I, I, I hear the argument all the time from when, when, I, when, I, when I use that, that philosophy and, 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 and put that out there. I see the argument all the time. People say to me, well, you know what Henry Ford said? He had to pay his employees enough so that they could buy one of those cars. Well, It's an interesting (laughs) circular reference, but if we start by paying people what it takes to buy the car, we won't make any cars. Yeah. You know, we won't, we won't, the cars will have to go up in price to a point. Everyone grows and gets to a level. I mean, I don't know, if if you take, if you take inflation out of the mix, Mm -hmm. strip your numbers back to when you graduated college, are you making more today than you made when you graduated college? Me? Yeah. 
if you take inflation out of the mix, are you are you doing better than the, the, your first job in, out of college? I'm a weird person because I am, but I'm in sales. So <laughs> at this point, I'm good. <laughs> but I could definitely see somebody absolutely saying, like, absolutely not because. But that's hugely rare. It, yeah. Honestly, most people, if they look at their first job out of college. Yeah. It's it's uh, I, I'm not in sales and I no longer trade full time. Mm-hmm. I, I, I manage a staff of computer software developers in India. And if I look at my numbers relative to where I was when I graduated college. Oh, OK, I see what you're saying. It's it's yeah. radically higher, but it's, yeah. it's higher because I'm paid for what I know. Yeah. And we all know more things as we go along, whether that's yeah. something manual in, in labor. If, if I'm a guy who shines shoes for a living. And if I start shining shoes at 16 years old, I'm going to be paid more by the time I'm 40 because, because I I'm can gonna be a way better shoe shiner. Yeah, do it better, faster. Yeah, absolutely. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I was confused because, like I said, I'm in sales, so my career's been up, down, oh, left, sure. right. I get, I get that <laughs> absolutely. And I, but I, yeah, no, 100%. But the licensure thing is interesting to me because everything I've ever done since college has been licensed. I was a financial advisor coming out, so I had to pass Series 7 and 66, which actually, that might be one of the ones that I'm like, I'm okay with that, only because, boy, do you have to... People take advantage of those who don't know quite a bit, and I think they get found out very quickly, which would be an anti-government argument on that, but what I knew coming out of college was a lot of numbers. Mm-hmm. What I came into was sales. Sure. So it's an interesting... It's an interesting concept on that. I, I, I'll agree with you. My first non-licensed job was in 2007, yet I was still in the same business. I started yeah. out with a Series 7 and a Series 63. Uh, I was a, a stock trader and an options trader mm-hmm. uh, and did some time in the, in, on the, the security sales side in the, from 1985 through like 88 or so. Uh, and then went to the floor and traded commodities for many years, first futures, uh, and then options. Uh, and then in 2007, I went to a totally unregulated side of the business. I traded over-the-counter options and financial oh. derivatives and uh, y- and uh, ran a business for a small investment bank along mm-hmm. those lines. And, uh, you know, exactly the same thing, just in what at the time was a totally unregulated segment of the market by comparison. Sales, yeah. The salespeople and the traders did not have to be licensed. I maintained licenses just because I already had them. Mm-hmm. But after leaving, I, I went back and, and went to the Chicago Board of Trade after that in 2011 and spent, uh, I guess, two, three years, three years on the floor of the Board of Trade in Chicago and, and had to re-up, had to go to the National Futures Association and get re-fingerprinted and everything because mm-hmm. I had been five years or something out of out of uh, uh, out of licensure right yeah. I, I, I was licensed but the way that the way that commodity licenses work you don't have to park them like you do in the securities industry oh. and have somebody hold them as long as, as as long as it's it's still out there you uh, uh, it, it's effectively on hold until oh. you come back it's it's a different deal and yeah. it's just different regulatory body but yeah but uh, it was really simple to come back I didn't have to go take a series three again or anything like that to Oh, they're just such fun exams. I mean, I only took two. I took the 66 and the 7, and after the 7, like, I was done. Yeah. Well, uh, well yeah. I'd say that I took the real estate exams. Well, there you go. <laughs> I, I, I've been an inveterate test taker. I've, I've done uh, uh, securities exams, including a registered options principal, then I did Oh man. The, and then I did the futures exams, and then uh, uh, the, the CBOT, the board, Chicago Board of Trade's own exams, 
That's a cool place. Well, yeah, you know, it used to be a cool place. I left because it isn't a cool place anymore. There's nah. nothing there. That's unfortunate. Yeah, it, well, it is. And it's, it's, uh, as, as one who still trades from the outside, it's really yeah. nice to know where my price bills are right now. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'll be the first to admit to you, I've never been a good position trader. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why I don't trade full-time anymore. I, I mess around, but I don't trade full-time. Yep. I used to make a fair bit of money making markets. And yeah. I'd buy the bids and sell the offers and, mm-hmm. and, and manage the risk in between. And you get this big, giant options book that's, that's built of of uh, you know multiple months, multiple strikes, puts and calls, and futures to balance it off and everything. Uh, but the real money that's made is is the different difference between the bid and the offer. Yeah. But you're trading in enough volume to make that work. And I've just never been a great enough position trader to uh, uh, to turn that around and, and, and be a full-time trader off the floor. It just doesn't work for me. Yeah. But uh, and then I uh, testing-wise, um, I have a private pilot license. I have my instrument rating. Okay, we have to talk so about the private pilot license. <laughs> 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 Off this, but oh, we yeah. have to talk about it because that's that's one of my goals in life. Sure, yeah, so it's a good goal. I, I'll tell you one thing: becoming a pilot made me, I think, better at just about everything I did. Becoming an instrument pilot definitely made me better at everything I did. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. It, 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 it there's no organization like flying single pilot IFR in a storm. You, you learn how to really get things done. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing like thinking, well, if I fuck this up. There is no time. <laughs> yeah. There's no next hour. Yeah. You, you, get, you, get, you get a couple of shots, and that's really it. Yeah. Done. Whew. Okay. Yeah, we have to talk about that yeah. off there. Um, so let's talk about infighting, because this is a problem, I think, for every party, but I think the Libertarian Party does suffer from it the most. Um, Democrats have a lot of infighting, but when they get their candidate, they back them. I don't think they're as strong as the Republican Party who was like, that's my candidate. And when, you know, Ted Cruz in, is insulted by Trump 10,000 times and then all of a sudden he's his best friend, Republicans, I think, are the best at it or not the best at it. But libertarians, every message board you get on, every single website, every Facebook page, every Instagram feed, anything that you can follow a libertarian on, they're either too libertarian or not enough. And normally, <laughs> it's the latter. It's oh, yeah. always not enough. And it and just a be a real libertarian. You yeah, be a real libertarian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and that's the thing that drives me absolutely nuts. It's like when I when I came into the party, I saw the you know the sheet, the thing that everybody looks at. Just the here's what we believe, and I just went yes, no question, yeah. no thought, and like absolutely. There might be slight deviations from the mean on that, but. For the most part, less government, better economics, I'm all for it. Mm -hmm. But if you would mention on a libertarian message board, Facebook comment, whatever, when you want to get really into the weeds, if you just make a comment like, I don't think we can really stop Social Security within five years. The amount of hate you will see is incredible. And you don't like unless you say like unless you're on a Republican side and you say Hillary's the best, then you're going to get attacked. If you're on basically anything on the Internet right now and you say Trump is okay, like not just great, not make America great again, not anything else like he's done some good things. You're going to get attacked. But on a libertarian site, you will get fried for saying anything positive about government. And then 
everybody jumps on board saying, well, you're just not libertarian enough. <laughs> and um, I, I can't remember exactly which one is which, but Penn and Teller, the comedy routine, one is a heavy libertarian. Penn Jillette. thank you. And he did an interview with Bill Maher, and I love Bill Maher. I disagree with him on almost everything, but I love the fact that he calls out everybody. But he did a great just exchange with him because he was like, well, you guys believe in privatized roads, and you believe that everybody should do this, and everybody should do that, and you're wrong here, and you're wrong here, and you're wrong there. It's like, correct. I disagree with you on what you said. However, that's not the important thing right now. The important thing right now is that Healthcare is messed up. We are spending money on warfare that 14 other countries combined are not. Not 14 other countries like Morocco, like Russia, South Korea, Israel, China, all the big ones. They're not spending as much money as we are by one four, like by 14 right. times. We're, we have programs that we have mathematical models that don't make sense, that can't make sense. Those are the libertarian issues. You could put it on a five-point PowerPoint and say, this is what we have to fix. Mm -hmm. And if you did that, you'd still be called not libertarian enough. Of course. How do you fix that? And do it in five minutes because it's the most impossible well, question to answer. Well, it, it's, <laughs> it's hard, and I don't know that it is fixable, and I'll tell you why. The, a lot of the tenets of libertarianism do not align themselves with Politics with politics and government. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, if you look at where the Libertarian Party started, the Libertarian Party came from the right, which is in some ways unfortunate because there are just as many. Sissy and I, when we were married, probably converted more Democrats to Libertarianism than Republicans. Really? Yeah, we were inner city people. We we, mm -hmm. we always lived inside the city, and, and and so that's that. Those were our our points of contact, but. I think the, the problem that, that has existed for a long, long time is that the left treats libertarianism as an extension of the right. And the libertarians, for the most part, are unwilling to step up and say, no, that's not us. They just mm -hmm. kind of just shake it off. What we have, as far as disagreement between our members... We have the pragmatists. We mm -hmm. have the pragmatists that, that, that want to get elected and solve problems in a libertarian fashion. And I think that's a good thing. But if we're going to be pragmatists, I think we ought to be doing it in the roles of dog catchers, water commissioners, school board members, eventually city councilmen, mayors, state reps, state senators, treasurers, auditors, governors, mm -hmm. etc., and work our way up. Uh, we present ourselves to the nation as a presidential candidate and then a lot of ragtag people on the way down, some of which do a great job putting together a campaign. Uh, Brad Eichstead locally put together a phenomenal he campaign. He was amazing. Yes, he was. Yeah. And he did, he did very well on the stump. He was well-liked by the crowds, and he got almost no votes. Yep. And, 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 and that happens. When there's a three-way race, people look at it and just say, nope, not going to happen. My guy has to win, not the other guy, even though I disagree or That's even though right. I agree with this guy more. That's right. Yep. Now, compare that in 2010. I ran a state rep 
can a state rep ca uh, campaign against uh, uh, there was no incumbent um, uh, at the time it was called I think we were district 19 they did a lot a lot of reworking inner city old northeast uh, uh, it's uh, the winner of the race was John Rizzo the primary was ugly uh, it was uh, Rizzo won <laughs> by one or uh, Rizzo won by one vote and uh, that's too close. It really is close. And it went to court, and the judge said, "I don't really see a reason why there should be a, a win, a, a recount here. We've we've got a winner. We got a we got a, we've got a single vote here. I mean, we got yeah. a winner." <clears throat> and that guy, uh, shortly thereafter, left the bench and went to work as the uh, the. Uh, uh, county attorney advisor to the county board and who got him the job was the father of the winner oh, Jesus. Uh, and then to top it off uh, it's like John even if that wasn't political that just shows you exactly yeah. the situation well yeah. and, then, and then johnny's uncle and aunt voted in the election and i'm gonna guess they voted for john but they live north of the river and so Johnny's uncle pled guilty in federal court, and I did, did s a year or something like that behind bars. Uh, the plea agreement was that his wife would stay out of jail, mm -hmm. and, uh, and he did a year. Uh, but so there were two votes right there that yeah. would have turned that primary. But uh, we're getting in the weeds. When John and I were in the, uh, in the, uh, the general election in 2010, I got, I don't know, 20, 22% of the vote, something like that. Oh, wow. With uh, one weekend's worth of campaigning. But there was no Republican in the race. Brad Eichstead went out and spent real money, real time, mm -hmm. busted his butt, yeah. and got like a 5% share. Yeah. And that's just the nature of how it works. Yeah. It's just, it's sad. When I ran for state auditor in 2014, I think it was 14, yes. In 2014, ran for state auditor. There was no Democrat. They couldn't. The Democrats could not dredge up a candidate from the bottom of the river to put in the statewide race. Never seen it happen before. That was auditor. You said auditor. And Tom <laughs> Schweik was a sitting Republican auditor. And so Schweik, me, and a Constitution Party guy. The Greens didn't yet have ballot access in Missouri. I won Kansas City proper. I did not win the suburbs of Kansas City, but mm -hmm. the Kansas City Election Board core of Kansas City. I won Kansas City, and I almost won St. Louis County, St. Louis City. Wow. Yeah. So it tells you people will step up and vote for somebody that's not one of the above when there's only one of the when, yeah. when, when there's only one 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 opponent. People will say anybody but that guy. I'll yep. vote for that guy. I may not agree with him, but I'll vote for him mm -hmm. because he's not that guy. Yeah. So they'll do it. But will they vote for uh, for uh, libertarians on principle? We don't know because it's, I, I, every election is always, well, this time we've got to support such and such because otherwise it's going to be. we got to support Trump because it's going to be Hillary. Yep. This time we've got to vote for. Uh, well, and this was the big test, too, and I'm sorry for interrupting, but this was also a huge test because there were a lot of never Trumpers on the Republican side. Yes, there were. And, and they talked a great game until it came time to vote. Exactly. And I was like, oh, we could have Hillary. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. We could, 
I can't remember who it was. It might have been Bill Maher too. Might be referencing him too much, but it was like you could either vote for. Oh, no, I think it was. Um, oh, I can't remember now, but it was like you could either vote for a Republican or Donald Trump. <laughs> 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 and I thought it was a great comment. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's Hillary was like. I think Hillary was the first Democrat to ever come out of her, her family. I mean, her brother Hugh Rodham was like treasurer of the Cook County, Illinois Re- Republican Party. And oh yeah, else. yeah. I mean. You know, solid Republican credentials. She just happened to go to uh, where did she go to school? She went to uh, uh, Wesley, yeah, and, uh, and and got all liberalized. Yep. But, uh, uh, yeah. yeah, I I looked at that race and was like, I literally it, multiple times during it because I just watched it and just kind of laughed. It was like, eh, we'll see how the U.S. ends. It won't, but that was kind of how I was looking at it at the time. And she's like, well. I'm glad I'm a libertarian because my choice is easy because your only issue is Aleppo. That's right. That's your only comment. That's so you're right. voting for, I remember, again, Bill Maher, I'm referencing way too much on this, but it's like he made fun of Ken Bone, who got famous in the second debate. Right. And it's like, you're voting for the Aleppo guy? Like, that's it. That's all you've got. That's like right. a couple of weird interviews that's and right. Aleppo, and that's all you have. That's right. And And honestly, I mean, it's... Why why should a presidential candidate know about Aleppo? Why are we in Aleppo? What's, exactly. What's, what's going on in Aleppo that is so important to the United States? Why did we get ourselves into Aleppo? Yeah, if it was Aleppo, Alabama, and something was happening there, yeah, he should I know about it. that. Yeah, I get it. But, you know, Syria is a nice place to visit, but we don't live there. No. I re- so I was telling you about the uh, podcast I did with my buddy Corey Gallagher, like – somebody that I just absolutely just go to him with questions like, okay, so I know we're supposed to come out and we're supposed to have dinner and like have drinks and our, you know, we're all supposed to enjoy each other's company, but I have questions about what's going on right now because you know, the historical issues that are going about like that have to do with this. And I remember talking to him and I was like, I saw a meme the other day and history is not memes. Truth is not memes. Of course. But it's like, President Obama was the only president to be in office and for all eight years outside of FDR because he was in for four terms or almost four terms. But he was at war for a two term president the whole time. Twenty six thousand bombs, all that kind of stuff. And it was eight countries It's like. I should know about three minute or maximum. Syria, for whatever reason, I uh but Iraq, Afghanistan, why are there five more? Mm-hmm. And, of course, he knew. He explained it to me, and we kind of went on our way. But it's one of those things like, why are we bombing Yemen? Why are we there? Right. FBI, CIA, intelligence have told us constantly, like, the reason that they attack is because we're in their country, right. which is exactly how I would feel about Canada if they were bombing us all the time. Well, that's, that's exactly right. What we need to remember is that, is that if, if – uh, If somebody starts dropping bombs on the United States tomorrow, the left is going to coalesce around Donald Trump because that's Americans do that. They will Mm -hmm. coalesce around whatever leader in wartime comes about. Yeah. And I'm not so cynical as to think I'm wrong here. I mean, I'm saying that wrong, but uh, I, 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 I am cynical enough to look at the whole thing and just say, I think a lot of this is support for the regime. 
Yeah. You know, why on earth, uh, uh, I, I don't know if you follow Indian politics, there are very few, few people that do, but the Pakistanis and the Indians are at it again. They're really good friends. Yeah. yeah. New. Well, well they, used to, they, <laughs> they used to be the same group of people, but not anymore. But, but honestly, the, the, uh, uh, the Modi government, the, the, the sitting government in India, it's been in power for five years. They're going through their national elections right now, which is a five-week process. Thank God. God, yes. Well, when you get 900 million people voting, it takes a while. <laughs> it's crazy. But, but Modi, it, it's very convenient that a guy who did not accomplish a lot of what he wanted to accomplish in power all of a sudden is at war with the Pakis. And believe yeah. me, the Indians are very nationalistic, and they're very much, we got to do what we got to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, if Modi wins this election, I think it'll be because of the Pakistan situation. Jeez. Because the, in the 70-year history of India, at the end of the day, it's always been about the economics. Mm -hmm. if, if, people, if more people are employed, if more people are eating, if everything is good... They reelect their president. Well, it's a prime minister, but they'll reelect the party, and the prime minister will stay. Yep. Well, that's every country. Yeah, but in India, they've only got a seventy-year history, so we can look at it. Yeah. We can we can s we can look at it, and we can say exactly twenty times this has happened. Yeah. But here, here we are, nineteen times. Here we are, coming up on number twenty. Will it happen that way again? Will it follow economics, or is Modi, you know, clever enough to? Uh, uh, you know, take economics off the table and uh, make certain that we're throwing bombs. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, so back to our original point. Libertarians <laughs> and, 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 and the, the, the conflicts between libertarians. Point one, there's a large set of the Libertarian Party that just doesn't like politics in general mm -hmm. uh, and isn't going to like anybody who isn't purely 100% libertarian. I almost said Republican. You did. Because, because <laughs> the, la the last few presidential candidates have lined up right there. Yeah. But, uh, but I mean, I, I put myself on the anarchist side of the Libertarian Party. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm not opposed to, you know, I, I, don't, I don't get into the battles. Yeah. But given a choice, I would see no government mm -hmm. uh, or such a small government that it would just simply never get in the way. Yeah, uh, but I'm not. I'm not radical about it. I don't. Uh, I don't have time to get absolutely crazy about it and everything else. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it, there, there's a need for those of us who strip it all the way to the bottom and and say, look, this is this is where libertarian purity is, and this should be the goal in the long term. This is where we are. This is where we want to be. Uh, we if if we lose that that hardcore libertarian streak, the radical libertarian streak, mm -hmm. the 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 pragmatic libertarians will take us dramatically in the other direction. Yeah, uh, and 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 for us, dramatically in the other direction was Bob Barr. I mean, that was that was as dramatic as we can probably go and still call ourselves libertarians. Mm -hmm. uh, but, I mean, little things. Uh, you know, uh, at the 2012 National Convention, uh, our delegation chair, to whom I was married at the time, uh, in the state of Missouri, <laughs> was a fan of Gary Johnson <coughs> and wanted to see Gary get the nomination. And we had open delegation chairs. And <coughs> the Johnson campaign was out looking for open chairs and we accepted uh half a dozen some four five six uh uh 
people to come in and 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 uh, uh, act as delegates in Missouri. That, that mm. At national conventions, you can fill your delegation with anyone from the floor. They don't have to be from your state. Right. And so we, we gave up, we, we gave open seats to Johnson delegates because we felt it was in the best interest to, to have Johnson be the guy. Yep. Uh, at that time, he was the best candidate we had. However, the next day when it came to voting for party officers, Sissy stripped delegations, stripped the delegates of their badges. Mm. Uh, yeah. And I was entirely in agreement. <coughs> there are people who will probably never talk to Sissy again for that. Uh, uh, there was one uh, uh, indicted Republican <laughs> who was at the convention, Roger Stone, who was in the row in front of us. And, and Roger, oh. Roger was working for the, for the, uh, uh, for the, um, uh, the Johnson campaign. And uh, he was in her face and yelling up one side and down the other and, and you know she's pretty she doesn't fluster easily and, yeah. and, and she held up to him but the point was you bring in your friends to vote for a candidate that's fine but we're not going to vote policy we're not going to put people in a position of power in our party and have, pe have people look at a slip of paper that they've been handed that tells them who to vote for we're not doing that yeah and uh that's where we drew the line. That's, yeah. where, that's where Sissy drew the line. I think I think that's where the Missouri Party drew the line. I don't think mm -hmm. we had any difficulty whatsoever from delegates that were our own people. Everyone looked at it and said, so be it. Yeah. You know, we, we, we do not want, and again, it was, the candidate is a friend, but mm -hmm. an extreme pragmatist. Yep. And uh, ultimately, uh, Jeff Neal, who had served in the past, ended up coming in as Jeff was not a candidate, but Noda kept winning. None of the above kept <laughs> winning. And, and, and uh, I happened to see Jeff at dinner that night, and the mm -hmm. election was carried over to the next day. And uh, uh, there were a lot of people, uh, Sissy, me, and various others, who said, Jeff, it's time. You need to. If you've got the time to spare, you need to step back in. This is going to be a mess. Yeah. And he did, and he won it, and and did just a, a two-year term and out. Yeah. But uh, uh, and let us get our our act back together. Yeah. But Whew. if we, it, it's and it's interesting because a lot of the radical party members, radical caucus members, of which I am a member, uh, have a real difficult time with Nick Sarwark, and mm -hmm. I don't. Uh, Nick and I are, are friends. Uh, uh, and remind me, I apologize. Who's Nick Sarwark? Nark, and, and Nick is the uh, Nark. Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Nick is. He's going to listen to this. Nick is the <laughs> Nick is the national chair serving an unprecedented third term. Oh, okay. You serve two terms and move on. And uh, is he the really like libertarian libertarian guy I keep hearing about? Incredibly articulate speaker. However, yeah. the pragmatists endorsed him. In, in the most recent run, because because Nick is all about getting libertarians elected, that's what he wants to all do. Right. He feels that's the way we should do things. Uh, I'm torn. I I view it from the standpoint that I, I do want to see libertarians elected, but yeah. no one is going to step up and say, "Yeah, nothing's working. Let's elect libertarians to governors all over the state, senators and congressmen. They should all be libertarians." It's not going to happen. No. And I think we need to, like everyone else, we need to pay our dues. We should have, you know, we, we should have people with credentials that are impeccable mm -hmm. that could be president of the United States yeah. running for county executive positions. Yeah. Do you know uh, um, uh, 
Jeff, uh, uh, why am I forgetting his last name? Uh, uh, Riverside County, California. Uh, I've never been there. Okay, uh, <laughs> large county. Uh, yeah, no, uh, I know. One, a huge, absolute, massive budget. Uh, uh, Jeff Hewitt. Uh, Jeff is a Libertarian National Committee member. That name sounds really familiar. I Jeff was elected county executive mm-hmm. of Riverside County, and as a Libertarian, uh, nonpartisan race. Okay, gotcha. But the Republicans endorsed him. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jeff is a pragmatist to the core. Mm-hmm. But if I had to say Jeff, anarchy or the the R's and the D's, he'd say I'm with you. Yeah, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jeff started out as a little city council guy in, in a little tiny town in, Je- in Riverside County and moved up to the county board. And I know I, I didn't move to the county board. He, he was he ended up being mayor of his town. And then yeah. there was a consortium of mayors and he was the head of the consortium of mayors. And all of this was internal elections. I mean, he was elected to city council and the city council elected its own mayor. They chose Jeff. That's awesome. And then Jeff went on and he's been in politics, elected politics for probably 10, 12, 14 years. Oh, that's wow. And he's, he's <laughs> paid his dues and he's come yeah. up through the system. Uh, this is a guy who built swimming pools for a living. And had a, had a solid business mm-hmm. and had some time and said, "I want to change. I want to change how things operate in California." What Jeff has going for him is he uses libertarian principles to do things. He does not back down at all. He does things in a libertarian fashion. Yeah. Uh, when there's a libertarian solution, Jeff s- discusses that libertarian solution with people and says, "I think we ought to do it this way." And people are like, "Well, Jeff, it's working so far, so go, so go for it." Yeah. And everything he's doing is working, and uh, by the slimmest of margins, it took a recount and a half at least. Uh, Jeff was elected county executive of Riverside County. Nice. And, and so now we have an opportunity to see the head guy in a county. Yeah. Uh, if you look uh, at Minnesota, Crystal, which is a first-ring suburb of just off of North Minneapolis, mm-hmm. Crystal has had as many as three libertarians on their city council at one time. Now, I think they have one or two right now. Yeah. Uh, but they've had very good success beginning to just, and their whole thing has been scaling back regulation. Yeah. Just where can we cut, where can we get government out of uh, out of things? Yeah. Uh, in the city of St. Paul, right next door to Minneapolis, uh, I grew up in St. Paul. Okay. We had private trash collection. Minneapolis had city trash collection. Guess which one worked better? Well, I don't care which one worked better. <laughs> There's a whole lot of people who just said private trash collection could never work. It did. You moved into your <laughs> house. You could always tell the people from out of town who moved in because a couple of weeks in, they'd trash out in front. You'd walk up and knock on the door and say, they didn't tell you. You got to hire a trash <laughs> company. But the beauty of that is somebody like me, I live alone. I, With all the recycling that goes out and everything else, mm-hmm. every three weeks, my trash bag is full enough to put out. Yeah. So do I need the Kansas City limit of two per week? Everybody else gets to put out six for the one that I put out. Yeah. It's crazy. Now, recycling, um, I put everything that's potentially recyclable in the recycling bin. You yeah. Know? So it, it, I, I am committing some output, there's no doubt. But mm-hmm. in terms of the stuff that you get tagged for and the stuff that, you're, that, that, that your taxes are paying to the traditional trash collection for which your, yeah. your uh, earnings taxes in Kansas City are paying, uh, I'm only contributing one bag every three weeks. Yeah. And and why, if I was in St. Paul, I'd call up Bob's Rubbish and I'd say, I'm not going to put out a lot of trash. Can you stop and see me every three weeks? Yep. And they'd say, yep, we'll do that. And if, Pete, if, if Bob doesn't want to do it, Pete next door does. Yeah. You know, that, and then that's the beauty of competition. Exactly. That's the market. That's the free market. That's how it works. That's right. Yeah. So what I'm getting at is 
the, the people who are getting elected into positions of government as libertarians are for the most part coming from the pragmatic side. Mm -hmm. But I find myself having no difficulties whatsoever with them. I don't have any difficulties with any libertarians unless they're just mean people. Yeah. But I, I don't participate in the... You're good. Okay. I apologize. I was hearing some, uh, some feedback. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> I don't participate in the hardcore libertarian, not-so-hardcore libertarian side of things. Mm -hmm. I've worked on all sides of the party. I was on the LNC for for uh, four years. I chaired the the party's uh, technical IT committee. Uh, I've worked with people who most of my IT committee people member members the people that I worked with were not big time party people. They were libertarians who were interested in helping out that had an IT background. Mm -hmm. And invariably, these were people that didn't understand the turf battles that went on in the Libertarian Party and yeah. were just there to get stuff done. And that was great. Those are the best people. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, 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 uh, I, and, and I'm not certain that any of them knew that I was on the anarchist fringe of the party. You probably didn't. No, I didn't at all. Exactly. No, I mean, I, and I don't want to, and I'm sorry to interrupt. When we had we had a pretty late meeting um the last one I attended with Brad Eichstead. Mm -hmm. And he made a comment, and I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here for him, but I thought it's I thought it was so important, and it's so important for every party that I, I want to repeat it because what he said was when I talk to people, I have to realize that I'm talking to a constituency. I have to realize that I rep I would represent a group of people, and I have to keep that in mind. And my beliefs and what I show and what I say and everything else, I would never not answer a question. But my beliefs go further than that. And he went into some very libertarian beliefs that I actually agree with him on, on, on um, legalization of drugs, not just marijuana, past that. And he went into those thoughts, and he's like, but if I center it on that, if I bring that up, just like anything else, that's going to be the focus. Like, the focus has to be what it means. And I just remember leaving that conversation going, he's absolutely right. It's like, and if you're a Democrat or Republican, a Green Party, a Constitution, or you're a Libertarian, you have to understand what that means. And he had a great, I mean, his his, his words were pretty incredible. He's absolutely right. Yeah. I, I've spoken to, uh, on a couple of occasions, I've spoken to the Jackson County Republican Party on, on, on issues Tax issues, property tax issues, and also uh, we were pushing for an audit of the of the water department at one point in time from the state auditor's office. And I've come and spoken on these issues in the past. And invariably, what people from the Republican Party of Jackson County remember me for is the fact that after the presentation was done, after we talked about tax policy, water policy, audits, all that kind of stuff, invariably something came up about drug policy. And I would say, you know, I think the correct policy is we, we've lost the war on drugs. We need to we, we, we need to legalize this stuff, and we need to uh, uh, to let the market do what it needs to do. And parents ought to not let their kids do things that they otherwise wouldn't want them to do. I mean, yeah. it doesn't matter just because drugs are legal. It doesn't mean that it's the right thing for you to do. I mean, yeah. I'm not a drug user. I don't care. I mean, it, but but it doesn't get in my way. Yeah. What do people remember me for at the Jackson County Republican Party? That for that. Yeah. Oh, you've talked about tax policy, too? Oh, really? I don't remember yeah. that. But I remember there's one issue that nobody wants to touch, That's but right. you did. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, it makes absolute sense because 
the issues that you, not the issues that you speak on, but the issues that you truly believe in come across to so many people. Mm-hmm. And with with drug policy, and especially right now, because I don't think there's a person, and maybe I'm wrong outside of fringe fringe uh, groups, but I don't think there's a person in America that doesn't see that eventually marijuana is going to be federally legalized. And that's going to be a great day. Mm-hmm. Because right now, it's a fucking Schedule 1. Right. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. If, you, if, if you look at... You know, I, I don't... I, I'm not a doctor. I don't know if any of these studies of the benefits of marijuana have, have validity. I don't care. Yeah. I come at it... I mean, there's... there. I'll take somebody's utilitarian argument for why we should legalize. At the end of the day, I'm with the libertarian argument, not the utilitarian argument. Yeah. The libertarian argument is that it's not any of someone else's business what I or you put in our bodies. Yeah. It just doesn't matter. It, it, in, in your life, it should not matter. Now, where it does matter, mm-hmm. and where I have Republican friends who, uh, it's the first thing they say, and I have to agree with them on this, is if you, through your, through your drug use, cost me, the taxpayer, money in some way mm-hmm. then it's inappropriate but i agree with that on all terms yeah that's a libertarian argument that's exactly you can right. do whatever you want yeah it's 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 not it's not a drug thing it's a it's a philosophy thing yeah if 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 you harm others financially or otherwise you are liable for that far more than the republicans believe yeah you know i'm i i, I you know a republican that is in the middle of some sort of a uh What's a Republican issue that uh, that that might uh, infringe upon others? Who knows? Regardless, outside of the border wall. <laughs> that's something. Okay. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. The, the fact that this will be the largest eminent domain project that has ever been in the history of the mm-hmm. United States to acquire enough farmland and ra- ranch land currently straddling two countries yeah. to be able to actually build a, a border wall. Uh, that's going to be a massive project. And mm-hmm. and the Republicans, many of the Republicans, just kind of look at their shoes and just say, well, I guess you got to do it. Yeah. Meanwhile, they're going, kilo, 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 kilo. Yeah. You know, on, on, the, on the kilo decision, you know, we got we to knock that kilo thing down. We got to, you know, everybody saw the Little Pink Houses video and everything else, and all the things <laughs> all wonderful. <coughs> but, but we have a real good reason for this one. We've got a great reason for taking this land because uh, we can build a wall. Well, yeah, and that, again is to me one of the most it's the it's the truest libertarian argument in my mind is if you're having a conversation with somebody and you're a libertarian and even if you're you know as progressive or conservative as they come i think the libertarian argument that always gets to me and this is the reason that i will stray on the social contract and social policy and i don't like this i don't like that infighting and the rest is i always come right back when I hear things like that, because I, I remember, and I'm sure everybody remembers because it's, it, it has the benefit of recency that we have in the last 10 years lived in a world where we've had huge second amendment fights. We've had a world where marriage was defined as a man and a woman. And thank God the U S government defined it that way because we actually have a fucking definition for it. And We've had, you know, we are now, at, like we were just talking about, or like I brought up, that we're in the middle of a marijuana legalization argument. States and states' rights are taking over, which Republicans fight, but they like the argument but hate what's going on. And you have those three issues that are at the forefront. And what it comes down to, at least from what I see it, is I love me some big government. 
if I agree with what it's doing. Of course. And to me, that's the most libertarian thing you can hate mm-hmm. is I'm fine with everything you talked about as long as the United States government, which is 530, if you're really looking at 536 people and nine on the Supreme Court, if you're looking at it that way, they're in charge. Right. And even though we're a republic, it's like you have to fight against that. And you have to fight against that with your vote. You have to fight against that with everything you post. Maybe don't hate on somebody that agrees with you 100% or 99% of the time and you fight on the 1%. But that, to me, was always the biggest issue. And I I would tell anybody that would listen, which they weren't that many people. Hmm. But it was like my biggest thing was, what if I could ensure Second Amendment rights and at the same time legalize gay marriage? Who would fight it? Because if you said... Second Amendment rights secured for a century. And gay people can get married. What do you think? Like, you would have the weirdest conversation in history. Like, ah, well, which one's more important? None of them. That's right. Because it's you. It's, it, it, it's, they're, they're the same fundamental right at the end of the day. It's for yeah. your life. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. And without government interference. Right. Yeah. It's an amazing principle. It's interesting to hear the politics behind the Libertarian Party because you don't really, like when you're talking about the uh, uh, the convention, you don't really hear about that with any of the any of the third parties. And Libertarian is by far the biggest third party, but you don't hear about the politics. But I mean, if you read anything on Theodore Roosevelt, that's what that guy was an expert on. He'd go to a convention and dominate because he was the only person that was willing to go to go toe to toe with everybody. Well, that's that's the other thing. You've got probably more registered parliamentarians at a at a libertarian convention than any other convention. Really? So, oh yeah. And so it gets hardcore because people know what they're doing. How many are there? You know, I th- yeah, boy, uh, probably three hundred delegates or so, something like that. Four hundred delegates. I, I don't recall exactly how many it is, but it sounds about right. Uh, I think a typical convention attendance is mm, in the neighborhood of a thousand people. Yeah. That's still a good convention. It is. What's interesting about it is that there are no people that dislike one another. There's some serious... Except that one guy that was yelling at Sissy. (laughs) That's Roger Stone. (laughs) Roger's a retread from the Republican (laughs) Party. Come on. And, yeah, he just... Roger was on the payroll, and he, yep. he, he had things to do, and, and uh, the Johnson campaign had, had cut a deal with a particular candidate uh, to make certain that uh, the people from his state would get seated at the convention. They had a large overage, and part of the deal was is he would see the votes for uh, national chair. That didn't happen. Oh, my God. Politics is the most fucked up thing in the world. Well, and, and <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I uh, you know, Nick is a friend, and, and I remember at, a, at an LNC meeting uh, uh, two summers ago, because it was a full summer before the, uh, uh, before the uh, last convention, we mm-hmm. were in Pittsburgh, and he, ki- he was floating the idea of running again. I said, you're crazy. You're going to run again? Mm-hmm. And he said, I view it this way. He said, I will stand up and support and financially support and physically do everything I can for someone who I feel can do this job better than I can. And he said, until then, I'll keep doing it. Fair enough. And I think that, that that's exactly the issue. I think there are a lot of people who would say, well, you know, you could, you could be, he, 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 well, I'll put it this way. He's, 
he's probably the best spokesman we've had. He's mm. very articulate. Uh, grew up as a software developer, but went to law school shortly thereafter and worked for IJ, the Institute for Justice, mm. and has serious credibility on 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 the on the the libertarian legal side. He worked as a public defender in de in uh, da 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 Denver, Colorado. <laughs> and then went home. The, the family has a uh, ha has a car business in uh, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and I believe his dad was ill and went home to run the family car business in Phoenix, mm -hmm. Arizona. Uh, but but uh, uh, Nick is one of those people who will there there will be a long pause, not for effect, because he's really thinking through the issue. And then, mm -hmm. but whatever he has to say will make a lot of sense. Yeah, you may not agree with it but it's going to be well thought out and it's going to make sense and it's going to be strongly libertarian. Well, and that's fantastic because, I mean, taking a long pause to think about the issues, to think about what you believe is something that we're, we've lost. People can't even do that on Facebook. No, God, I, I, I'm as guilty as anybody else. I mean, I grew up in, I think, 2006, 2007 was when I joined Facebook. Like, I was the Facebook generation. Yeah. It's like, I cannot imagine if somebody goes back to my old post, I'm going to look like a freaking idiot. I still have a Facebook account because I need it. I need to. I, I put events yeah. for the party and things like that and everything else. But I have not put a post on Facebook, other than some photographs of some birds I took pictures of in India. <laughs> I have not put a Facebook post up since 2011. You're the smartest person on Facebook. Well, I just. <laughs> I, fi I finally realized that it it it, it was probably uh, it was probably causing high blood pressure. It certainly I, I wasn't convincing anyone of anything. Yeah. So why do it? Right. There's just That's a really good point. Yeah. Anybody that you get in an argument with, and I've again, I've done this in the past, and I feel like an idiot for doing it, but you're not convincing somebody on Facebook that you're right. All you're doing is getting into an argument for argument's sake. The right. only positive I can see from it is if you're somebody that's not good at making arguments, you can learn. this guy, me, you can learn how to do it. Yes, you can, you can learn to formulate an argument. But again, you got to take the pause. And when you're writing, I mean... Even even at my worst, 2010, 2011, when I finally said enough of it, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'd have a comment that would come in way, way, way late because I'd craft it and formulate it and then sit on it overnight. You know, there was a some class that I took in high school or college, probably high school, where where they said when you have to write a letter that you're not excited about, write it, put it in the drawer, look at it tomorrow, and there's you know, that, that yep. and that's been done through history. Yeah. The, the, the concept of, of, of not not putting yourself out there until you absolutely have to. Give yeah. it time. You know, time time heals all wounds, yeah. as they say, but at the, at, at the other side of it is time also allows your brain to kind of work through it and say, yeah, I, I see why I've got a problem with this guy, but I'm going to save this for another post. Yeah. I mean, that was going back to what we talked about a while ago it's like that's that's what got alexander hamilton in trouble yeah. he constantly found solutions and problems that didn't exist yet mm -hmm. like and sometimes that's okay right. not not in a political argument it's right. never okay in a political argument so so what's um what do you think the future of the libertarian party looks like i mean we're we're in a weird situation we are I, I, we, we need we, we need to win some races at levels above what we've won, and that that goes against what I've said. I, I, mm -hmm. I do think we need, and the way we get there is we win, we win a lot more races at the levels that we are winning races, which is city council seats, school board seats, and that sort of thing. We need to, to show the world that you don't need to be afraid of a libertarian because both the R's and the D's have 
have, have strong reason to mm-hmm. put it out there that you need to be afraid of libertarians. Yeah, well, it's the easiest thing in the world to say that you're anarchists. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, life will life will go just completely to hell in a handbasket if you elect a libertarian to this position. Yeah. You know, you're, 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 if we have a libertarian dog catcher, the dogs will run free. It'll be, it'll be crazy. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and that's a w- great. Well, yeah, and, and, and you know, people are afraid of dogs running free. I mean, oh my god, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so that's that's the big fear. Yeah, and uh, uh, I, I think that means you have to put people. Now, uh, there are people around. In addition to Jeff Hewitt, there are others who have taken another approach, which is uh, uh, getting elected to or, or appointed to various uh, uh, state county. Uh, boards and that mm-hmm. sort of thing, and uh, uh, doing it right, sitting back, listening, trying to figure things out, and then slowly in the back channels, kind of work your way through. You're going to have to get, you, if you're in a deliberative body, you're going to have to get the support of the body if you ever want to make anything happen. Mm-hmm. So the best way to get the support of the body is to be a rational person who listens to all sides and then says, have you ever considered maybe this, and here's why. And and rather than just saying, well, as a libertarian, I think the first thing we ought to do is close the library. Yeah, you know, it, it, no, yeah. It, it's not going to work. You know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and the folks up in in uh, uh, the folks up in, in Crystal, Minnesota, the su- the suburb of Minneapolis, have learned that the hard way that you can't go and just hammer on expenses and and close things. You can beat up regulations because mm-hmm. almost everybody will look at it and say, "Yeah, it is kind of stupid that we require this for that." Yeah, but where where you uh, where you can't win is closing somebody's pet project. Fifty uh, percent mm-hmm. of the population is always going to want that thing. Yeah. And so you've just alienated fifty percent of the people. Now now that is one of the reasons why government is the size it size it is because no one's ever willing to eliminate things. So right. eventually that has to get done. But you have to build you have to build credibility and and, and uh, um, uh, a circle of, of comfort within within the deliberative body first. Yeah. And then once you've got that, uh, then you can begin to push the levers a little bit. And that's how Jeff Hewitt did it, and that that, that mm-hmm. worked well for him. But uh, you know, we have guys. Um, uh, I can't think of his name right off the bat, but we have an attorney in uh, Indiana who sits on. Um, He's been on at least one, if not more, boards. Government, uh, governor appointed appointed boards that uh, oversee, you know, sentencing guidelines and things like that. Yeah. And, and you just you, you you show that you're credible and and, and uh, a decent person. And, yeah. and uh, you know, it's that that's the best way to approach it. If you just go out acting crazy, mm-hmm. you're not going to get there. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things I see. And again, th- there there was a certain individual that was brought up. Um, that appears to be on the road to running for president of you know, on the libertarian ticket that kind of has had a and I, I apologize I should have looked this up before but he kind of has a non-apology mentality like I'm the ultimate libertarian this is who I am that's what we're going to do and that's what it is and if you don't like the fact that I don't think your kids should go to a public school I'm not sorry. If you don't like this, I'm not sorry. And I looked at that and just went, you can have that ultimate belief. You can. And good for you. Boy, are you going to set precedent for this party 
if you automatically go out and just throw it out there. It's hard. And some people like it, and, and some and people love it. He's a, he, you know, he was an honors grad at Brown. Uh, yeah. He, uh, yeah, we're not talking about an idiot. Like, no, he's, he's, a, he's a bright guy. Yeah. His, his career is in education. He, he, yeah. he, he, he runs a private education organization, uh, has done exceptionally well with it. Uh, you know, he, he's, I, I agree with him on a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. Am I, I going to go out there and, 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 and talk about it? No. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think I, I have a different approach than he does. Uh, I would, you know, in terms of where education goes today, I would, I have different ways of working to, uh, uh, to, uh, to achieve the same goals. Mm -hmm. uh, I respect his right to say it. Yeah. Uh, but my guess is that the party is not going to have him be our standard bearer to say it publicly. Yeah. So. Do you yeah. think there's a balance between him and Gary Johnson? Do you see somebody out there that, and again, like this is not to like, and I hate to use this term, but this is not to shit on any candidate, but no. is there is there somebody or some I at least ideal out there where you would say, this is what our candidate would look like? Because, yeah. I mean, you said you're you're I, on the anarchist side. I think I think a guy that looks like Ron Paul, maybe not Ron Paul's age, but I think a guy that that is has the the same message as Ron Paul. We know that message works. Yeah, we, we know that's grown the small L libertarian movement in tremendous ways. Yeah. Uh, so I guess, you know, as as a business guy, when I look at things, what's working? Yeah. You know, let, let's emulate what 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 does my competition do well? Mm -hmm. uh, you know what, uh, and I'm not that Ron Paul is competition, but you know he he, he didn't serve as a libertarian. Yeah. Uh, uh, Except for when he should, I don't even want to say he shouldn't have been like the was it '88 that he ran? Yep, he did. And he, he, was, got he was out of Congress at that point. He was between terms. Yeah. yeah. And he got into a fight with some, like, one of the most famous videos I've seen. It's like anytime you Google Ron Paul, it's like the video of him talking about the war on drugs. And oh, it's like, okay. you should just legalize all of it. And the guy's like, we shouldn't do that. It is not the Christian thing to do. It's not the right thing to do. And you just look at it and go, yeah, because the war on drugs has worked out so well for all of us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I, I, I think that Ron Paul is Mr. Libertarian because he does come at it from, from – a libertarian angle he knows how to sell it mm -hmm. to republicans from a utilitarian angle yeah but he comes at it his, his approach is libertarian uh is there somebody out there like that the problem is is that we keep picking up guys in the republican party so whether it's a thomas massey or a justin amash or a rand paul uh these guys all have solid libertarian leanings, and they've chosen a different path to get there. And it's yeah. very difficult in the United States to change parties. Mm -hmm. uh, it just doesn't work that well, yeah. uh, especially to, to, to change to a third party. If you're going to go from the R's to the D's, so be it. I mean, I get that. But actually, I don't get it. I mean, it's, it's so weird. That's it's an even so stranger weird. transition it, it because at this point, they're so far left and so far right. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. it's so odd. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, they, they all want the same things. Yeah. They they really do. Uh, and, and get money. What we need to do is, <laughs> as as libertarians, you know, we have the responsibility of showing people that there's another way. We don't want what the R's and the D's want for yeah. the most part. Yeah. We want safe schools. We want safe streets. We want all these wonderful things. We don't want to grow the government to make these things happen yeah we don't want people to be tax slaves we want people we want people to be encouraged to work and especially be encouraged to work in something they wish to do uh you know if if, if someone uh, uh 
that. We 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 want to show that the market works. We want to show yeah. that that uh, uh, we're not you know that, that it's it's not crazy to believe that uh, in the long run the the the, the, sco- the concept of public schools is probably a dying concept. I mean, yeah. If, if 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 it takes another 150 mass shootings to to kill it, it probably will happen. I mean, it's it's the 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 concept of of housing a whole bunch of kids together from grades K through 12 in the thousands sometimes for several hours per day and give them two or three hours of education along the way. Uh, you just got to look at it and say, what's wrong with this model? I mean, yeah. my well parents, I my I parents who were born in the, in, in my father was born in 1923, my mother in 1931, uh, uh, not alive today, but, but mm-hmm. uh, all the books that I read in college, my father read in junior high and my mother in high school. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, we have education inflation. We've decided we decided 70 years ago, 60 years ago, that a college education was a right and everyone should have a college education. Well, mm-hmm. once everyone has a college education, the guy who picks up your trash is going to have a college education. So what's yeah. next? So now if you want to be in business, you got to have an MBA. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to. Well, how many courses? I mean, they had a joke on this 12, 15 years ago about somebody getting having an MBA and it not being worth anything. Right. There was a reason for that joke. That's right. Yeah. No, it's absolutely true. Uh, uh, I, 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 I've had, I've had interns from MBA programs, some darn good ones. I had a kid from Kellogg that came in. He was very competent in what he knew. The problem is he didn't know anything. <laughs> I mean, it, it, bright kid, but but yeah. but but had all sorts of wonderful strategy ideas and everything else. We were working for a small business. I mean, small businesses are not about strategy. We're not trying to devour the competition. Uh, you know, we're, we're far better off when, when we talk about where small businesses, uh, if you've read or if you've read Peter Thiel's zero to one, far better approach. Yeah. Uh, y- you, you need to be monopolizing what you do. Find something that no one else is doing and be really, really, really good at it. Yeah. That's where, that's where small businesses succeed. Mm-hmm. If you just simply want to sell onions, eventually Walmart's going to kick your butt. Yeah. So don't sell onions. Well, yeah, it's like, I mean, Ray Kroc's speech about what his business was was the best in that argument. Mm-hmm. It's like, what do I do to a auditorium full of, you know, I can't remember where he was. It's like, to an auditorium full of very intelligent young people, what do I do? You make hamburgers. No. My business is real estate. Because right. when I put one of those in, in a place, like, in, in my hometown in Raymore is a great example. There was... Uh, a McDonald's that went in on an area where you were like, eventually this is going to develop. That McDonald's went in, everything around it grew. Right. His business was real estate. It had nothing to do with a burger. You make a better burger at home. Right. Can you but do he, it better than he? He wasn't the guy who started the real estate side, though. Yeah. Uh, that was that was another guy who came in at the founder level and didn't stay past, oh boy, 19... 69 or so yeah uh ray Kroc was i mean he, he was a visionary and and the, what ray Kroc really brought to american business was systematization mm-hmm. uh ray Kroc looked at it and said look i mean we all try our own ways of doing things what if we what if we if we have a formula yeah I mean, prior prior to ray Kroc, there were franchises but they were trade they were trade name franchises yeah and that's what he did that's right yeah he had, and, and it's not just franchises though so I, I would argue that every 
successful business in the United States, whether they make something, obviously if they make something, they sell something, but whether, whether they retail something or whether they just manufacture and sell through distribution or whatever it is they do, you can find Ray Kroc lessons in every successful business. Yeah. And it was, it was he, he created the business model franchise. Mm -hmm. Prior to him, it was trade name franchising. And, you know, gee, if you, uh, yeah, we, you can sell chicken if you want under my label. That's just fine. It's mm -hmm. the trade name. And I make my money on that. He, he made it repeatable. He made it repeatable. He made, he made, he made, he lowered the bar to success. Yeah. Uh, I know people that were, had no business training whatsoever that saved their money, bought a McDonald's franchise, and, and became wealthy yeah. off of a McDonald's franchise or two. And they did yep. so because they simply read the book and followed it. Yeah. Well, and he did that for Henry Ford. Mm -hmm. Like repeatable behavior, the the I, I will never remember the guys that he bought the business from, but it's like they figured out repeatable McDonald's behavior. Brothers. Yeah, McDonald Brothers. So that, that was probably the stupidest statement I've ever made. <laughs> Hilarious, <laughs> awesome. Can't wait to be on record for that. I don't edit this shit, so it's gonna happen. But so okay, so McDonald Brothers, he bought that and just saw like if I have this, we're good to go. But that was from Henry Ford, and before I mean I guess. Very slightly before, but still before him, you had, you know, you had Carnegie and Rockefeller that found the one thing. It's right. the one thing we're good at. What's the one thing you're good at? Making standard oil, something that somebody can burn and it's always going to be good. Well, right. so now electricity is taking over because between uh, Edison and Tesla were fucked. What's going to happen? Well, the one chemist that I have in the back room said that there's this really volatile substance that we have. But Henry Ford just made a car, and this will power a fucking car. So we'll sell gasoline, and now we're going to make even more money and more money and more money. It was about, I mean, it's, Rockefeller is, like, he's such an interesting individual because he was really a businessman at his core. He wasn't a chemist. He wasn't anything else. He was a businessman. And so when it came to refining, it's like, everybody's striking oil. I don't want to do that. What do I do? I can refine it. Now, electricity's happening. What do I do? What what's the derivative product that I have? It's the thing that I can't get rid of, gasoline. Mm -hmm. We're gonna do it. I mean, every single one of these major entrepreneurs, up until you know, up I shouldn't say up until up to Elon Musk, has just been creating stuff that really it's all about principle. It's not about the product. Right. And well, that almost every successful <laughs> business, if you it, there is a model for business success, and it rarely involves the technical nature of the business. Yeah. It's 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 all about the process of it being a business. Mm -hmm. uh, Michael Gerber's e myth revisited mm -hmm. is probably the the absolute best example. If you go through and read that book or listen to the audio book of it, uh, it's a great example told in story form for the most part of how to create. I mean, he, he talks about franchising, but he's really mm -hmm. talking about it from the single business level. How do you take your business? and make it succeed, well, basically, you make it franchisable. If you can make yeah. your business franchisable, you don't ever have to franchise it. Your business will be successful Yeah. if you build it that, correct, that way correctly. Yeah, well, it's it makes sense because it's a scientific method incarnate. It's, it it's we have a sample size. It works. Mm -hmm. I bet if we take this from Kansas City and put it in Denver, it's going to work, too. Right. So. And just the concept of not having too many cooks spoiling the broth and everything yeah. else you know building building an org chart that tells you what needs to do doing doing the basic stuff first 
you know, so many businesses start out because, uh, well, the story of the, the story of the Emith revisited uh, uh, Sarah. Sarah makes pies. Sarah mm-hmm. likes making pies, so she started a business making pies. Pretty soon, the business owns Sarah, and mm-hmm. uh, Michael Gerber talks her through the process of how she creates a business out of selling pies. Yeah. And it's not about selling pies. It's Mm-mm. not about making pies. It's about running a business. And if, if your passion isn't ultimately, if, you, if your passion from the original trade that dragged you into business, if your passion doesn't become the business, you're never going to succeed. You need to work for somebody else. Yeah. Or at least understand that you have limitations. Yeah. Like. If you're okay having a great restaurant and you have 100 seats and those 100 seats are filled every night and you like working there, that's fine. But even e- that's that's fine. But but even to do that mm-hmm. successfully, uh, it takes a business sense to make it happen. Yeah. You know, it's it's uh, uh, it, it'll 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 eat you up if you can't cross that line. If yeah. if you're in the back cooking, who's out front taking the money? Yeah. Who's making certain the customers are happy? Mm-hmm. You're, you're at the top of all of it. Yeah, true. Yeah. So if you had one message, not just for libertarianism, but just for people in general, when you look at politics and life and everything else, because I think we've crossed a lot of different things in this conversation. If you had one, sum up your entire life in one sentence is what I'm asking. <laughs> no, but I mean, if you had one overall, like overarching comment that if you met somebody and you said, here's the way that you need to approach it, because this is, again, one of my favorite things about libertarianism. If if you want to do something, you should have every ability to do it. And there shouldn't be limitations. And if they there are limitations, it has to do with your interaction with somebody else. If you're negatively affecting somebody, we need to look at that. Because ne- if you win in business, you're negatively affecting somebody, but you Maybe. won. Maybe. Yeah, true. But if you had to talk about it as a guiding principle, not with what you, not necessarily just with what you've done, but as just how you feel about it and what brought you to this statement, this point, where what would it be? I think the best way to put it is I'm involved in the political process to make politics something that is no longer important to anyone. And I'll explain that without going ridiculously off the rails. I can go in the rabbit hole. It's fine. Huh? <laughs> the, the libertarian philosophy, my philosophy, is that government shouldn't be important to you. You may believe that government is a necessary evil. You may believe it's not necessary at all. That's up to you. But I think we can all agree that government occupies too much of our lives for the most part, whether it's Mm -hmm. paying our taxes, following our regulations, whatever all it is. It's, it's, It's a deal that was promised to us that was going to make our lives better by making them more complicated and more expensive, and mm. it hasn't worked. Yeah. Uh, when people say to me, well, you know, why should I try the libertarian way? And I say, well, the Democrats and the Republicans have been at this. I mean, the Republicans only since the Civil War, but they really did evolve directly out of the Whigs. So we can honestly say yeah. that the two political parties that are in power in this country collectively as a single unit have been in power 
for almost their entire existence with about with about a 10 year span where they weren't in power mm-hmm. are you happy with what they've accomplished you know clearly there are some things that have worked well yeah uh, we th- this country has unimaginable wealth when compared to the rest of the world mm-hmm. uh, we have abundant resources we have abundant talent uh, as Peter Thiel would say and did say in, in, in zero to one we're still an optimistic country there are a lot of countries that aren't optimistic yeah uh, we've lost our way in many ways and we've lost our way because we've lost our way to government and a reliance on government you know as libertarians as as small government conservatives would agree with us on it's about freedom and liberty well government doesn't take away freedom unless you break the law government doesn't take away freedom and it doesn't take away liberty it takes away responsibility mm-hmm. and you don't have once you no longer have the responsibility of choosing where to buy your groceries, where to buy your shoes, what to manufacture, what to eat, once you lose those, you're losing the liberties that allowed you to choose yeah. what to manufacture, what to eat, where to live, what to do with your with your working day. Human beings want to be free human beings want to make decisions we're, we're, we're complex animals we want to do things we want to take care of people we want to live happy lives and when I mean happy we want the pursuit of happiness of what we want to do uh, we don't do well caged up uh, where, where our government in this country and, and, and for the vast majority of the world is going is a philosophy of cradle to grave security mm-hmm. uh, will never be bombed. You know, we, we'll, we'll never let anything happen bad to you. We'll kill you if it's I- if it looks like something bad something bad is going to happen to you. Don't worry, we'll kill you. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it, it's it's uh, it, it's. I think there's a. Sadly, I think that the the percentage of people that that want to think for themselves and do for themselves is less than it was a hundred years ago. Yeah, uh, but it's a, it's a basic human trait, and it's a trait that if we if if, if we would teach self reliance in our schools, uh, and if we would preach self reliance, you know, in our churches and everywhere else, I think we'd get ourselves back to a level where we would look at government and say, yes, that's very nice. These are thieves who want to be paid. They want their share. Yeah. And we're going to likely have to continue to pay these thieves going forward, but they don't have to run our lives. They don't have to be a major imposition upon us. We just give them the cash they want. We send them on their way. Occasionally we tar and feather them when they're really bad. Yep. Or like in the state of Illinois, we just lock them up. <laughs> and, and, and we're all happy on our way. But there's th- th- what, what, what they have sold us, what they have sold us as this wonderful, great protection racket what have you mm-hmm. uh, be it social security be it you know police forces be it national security whatever you, whatever it is p- pick your pick your your piece of it none of it's worked out like they planned none of it's been anywhere near as good as what we were sold yeah and none of it's anywhere near as good as what we're paying yeah what we're paying for well I think that's in my mind at least that's the big issue if we're responsible for not even what 3.4 trillion because we continue to have to borrow and we're still not satisfied right. that's more than any people in the history of mankind mm-hmm. 
and we're not happy with it. We should be the happiest people in the world. I agree. And we're not. And what does that tell you? We give way too much responsibility to an organization that has zero credit for having that responsibility. Right. Like they, they should not, you shouldn't be satisfied in any way, shape or form. And yet we continue to rely on it because, and I think this is one of the bigger issues is we we're so used to it that, I mean, you said cradle to grave. It's absolutely true, but we almost feel like we're given the sensation of the cradle and we don't recognize it until it's too late. Like it's very comfortable. It's very nice. Well, think, think of it this way. <laughs> we, we've now put students into a situation where we've, we've drilled into the heads of students from, a, from, from grade school and before grade school that success is going to college. Yeah. And the price of going to college is now years and years and years of deep debt. Yeah. A lot of students are never going to pay their way out of. Mm -mm. And it's debt you can't get rid of. You can get rid of so much debt, you can't get rid of that debt. Yeah. The the absolute worst of it is what I'm seeing now, the the next phase of this where employers are starting to look at it and you can you can basically bargain your future out with an employer. You can say you know, you'll pay my college education or some percentage of my college education. I'll come to work for you, and I'll pay you. I'll give you a percentage of my earnings. <laughs> or not the earnings that they determine anyway. Well, no, e- even if it's somebody else. Yeah. You, you can get uh, where this will go ultimately. We'll securitize this. Oh, yeah. You yeah, know? it'll be a derivative somewhere in the market. Exactly, and I'll be able to buy kids. Yeah. Well, where does, where well, does the slavery part of this kick in? Well, and the way I think of it is, like, I understood the housing crisis because you had you had an asset behind it. Right. We and this is to me this is the most messed up part about our education system is we treat every degree equally and we also treat the degrees like they're a car right. or like they're a house or anything else where there's an asset behind it. And you can make a flowery speech about how every student is an asset and it's a great thing, but there's, um, and I really wish I remembered at the time, there was a, a, a musical um, on Broadway. It was like Sesame Street, but very inappropriate. And there's an entire song about what an English degree is worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And every time I think about that song, I think about the fact that there is a government sec- secured loan for... English degree every English degree and every like name it like and it's not even uh, the bad degrees or you know what I would say are the bad degrees it's every degree it's like every degree where there's a percentage that you look at and say 70% of people don't make any more than this much money and yet we're secure like we're making sure that these degrees are backed up the same way a house is you know from you know I I, you're you're making a utilitarian argument Mm -hmm. It, it, it makes no economic sense and I agree with you entirely but Think of it from a moral standpoint. Morally, we're, we're at some point in time, people, a lot of them, probably not all of them, but many of them will figure out at, at some point in time that they've been duped. Yeah. That they spent this money, they got this degree, they made mom and dad happy, but more than anything, they just made society happy because society was the one that pushed mom and dad into going that direction in the first mm-hmm. place. And now they have, the worst part here is they don't just have a debt. Actually, they don't have a debt. They're paying some sort of a derivative for the next thirty years. Yeah, they're they're paying. They're, 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 they owe into some derivative stream mm-hmm. a percentage of their income. And if they make a whole bunch of money, they got to pay more. Yeah. If 
they make just a little bit of money, they don't have to pay much. What what sort of incentive is that? We know what that does. We, we, we know what that does right now in terms of in terms of tax policy. When you put a hard break at a particular spot on a graduated income tax scale, and if, if somebody's got a break between 125 and 130, uh, and I- if their taxes go up and up at 130, mm-hmm. where it's it's uneconomic to get there, they'll say, "I'll stay at 125." Yeah, perfectly happy there. Yeah, I'll reduce hours. I'll do whatever. I'm good. Yeah, I'll do what's necessary. You think we aren't going to see a productivity loss due to this? When 100%. People, when people look at it and they're like, wait a second, I'm giving that much to a bunch of unnamed Wall Streeters that that, uh, that, that, that bet on my education? Screw them. Yeah. And well, in the moment they say screw them, they're going to be in that same job contributing to their 401k, and their 401k is going to have part of that in there. Yeah. It's it's just it's morally wrong to, to indenture people for life. Yeah. It's it's just wrong. Yeah. So, so how do you get past it? I mean, you got... You know, Mike Rowe, Dirty Jobs. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's one of the few people who's out there saying, you know, you... We don't have plumbers. We don't have plumbers. Average we need of, plumbers. Average <laughs> age of a welder in this country is 62 years old. Yeah. Or and that's terrifying. It's terrifying. Absolutely. It's Especially terrifying. when you're talking about spending a trillion to $2 trillion on infrastructure. Absolutely. It's like you're saying you don't need sheet metal workers. You're saying you don't need plumbers. You're saying you don't need electricians. Exactly. Any of those positions. It's like the one positive of that is that hopefully the you know, air quotes, free market takes over and people eventually realize like, I can go to trade school, get it paid for, yeah. make 70 a year coming out and 100 afterwards yeah. being a lineman and infrastructure is going crazy in the United States and elsewhere. Without a doubt. Yeah. I, for the first time in my lifetime, actually not the first time in my lifetime, starting about 1970 to get a job as a professional pilot, you needed a college degree. Mm-hmm. And a couple of airlines, I don't know who, because I just glanced, I just scanned the article this morning, but I saw this in this morning's, I, I get a lot of aviation cheat sheets, and news sheets, and at least one major airline has decided to drop their college requirement. I don't doubt it, because what why do you need to learn? You want to know that people are intelligent. Yeah, 100%. You, you, you want to know that people have some cleverness, but... The concept of, of, of putting somebody $100,000 in debt to figure out whether or not they're clever or not isn't that great an idea anymore. Yeah. You know, well, it, it's, it, there are plenty of good aviation-specific programs out there, and they're overkill because they're still giving you another degree on top of that. Yeah. Uh, th- there are an amazing number of <coughs> excuse me, an amazing number of pilots that are also a, uh, aeronautical engineering, which is, <laughs> I, I, which is great. I mean, it's, 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 um, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good thing to do. But there are plenty of people who got a pilot's license at 16 years old and have been flying ever since. And, and you'd rather be behind them than anybody else. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's, to me, I really hope, I really hope that like things like graduate certificates become more important than anything else. Absolutely. And I think they're there. I mean, I, I, I think the, the, the explosion in education outside of the mainstream is going to be absolutely huge. And I, I think that the concept of having to have a certificate to get a particular kind of job—it's—it's it's the union—it's the union movement of, of this era. Yeah. Uh, as unions declined, we're, on, we're not mm-hmm. on camera, but I've got an X going yeah. up here, and, and, and as union membership has declined, uh, certification, need of certifications and licensing has gone up on the exact same at yeah. the same slope that, the, that union membership has come down. So we still have a union culture. It's just now the unions aren't giving out the uh, giving out the credential. The the, uh, uh, the state boards are giving out those credentials. Yeah, yeah. which is terrifying for libertarians. It is. <laughs> now, at the same time, I fly airplanes. 
I don't really have an interest in flying around with people who haven't been adequately trained to fly an airplane. 100%. Yeah. You know, it, but that that's that's a private thing. Yeah. You know, that's a private thing. I, I get to make that decision. Yeah. <coughs> you know, I'm not suggesting that people can go and pick up an airplane and fly. They will kill themselves. Oh, yeah. A lot if of I w- people will kill themselves. I mean, I was telling you before, or telling you earlier in the interview, it's like we have to talk about this off air because that's something I've always wanted to do. I've had members of my family, including my grandfather, that were, and I've always, always, always wanted to since I was that tall. Sure. And uh, if you put me on an airplane now, I'd be like, well, if you pull back, I think that goes up. And if you push down, that goes down. But if we're going to land, you're going to die. No. Well, that's awesome. Well, uh, do you have anything else? I don't. I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to chat like this. And uh, uh, maybe someday we'll do it again with another topic. Uh, Definitely. I, I have a bunch. so I like it. Talk about it. You can come on any time. No, we, okay. we can make a weekly series. No, the, uh, I think um, I get the idea, and you might disagree with me, but I get the idea that uh, the next year and a half or so are going to be reasons for us to have more conversations. Yeah, it's going to get interesting. Uh, we'll see who steps up to the plate for the LP. Uh, you know, again, I don't care who the presidential candidate is. We're probably not going to make a big impact, but mm-hmm. we're getting to a point. I really thought, and, and and maybe a second Trump administration will do it, but I really thought that we'd some we'd see some Republicans after the twenty eighteens leave the Republican Party and join the LP, elected Republicans. Yeah, that's what happened in oh seven oh eight. Well, but they were all statewide people. I thought I, I think True. I, I expected to potentially see some national level people. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, I mean, at this point in time, Justin Amash doesn't call himself a Republican; he calls himself a Libertarian. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're going to start to see some of these things happen. I think the issue right now, the, the the Trump mania, scares the absolute crap out of elected Republicans. It's yeah. Like, what do we do? Who do we try? Who do we do? We have to look like this guy or not? Well. Do you think part of that, and I'm sorry for interjecting, but do you think part of that, the fact that more people haven't jumped ship is because of how far left the Democratic Party has gone? It's like, well, yeah, it's I nor- and, and normally in other times I would jump ship and go Democrat and just be a blue dog Democrat and call it a day. But, man, it really, like at least to me, it seems like it's as far right as it's gone. And with Trump, it's a totally different direction, but it was going far right with the Tea Party movement, and people went left, but then when they went left, the party went left. Big time. And so when I see that, I think, there's no safe ocean to jump into now. It's two islands, and they think that, you know, being in the middle of shark-infested waters when it might be paradise. Right. I I agree with you, but it's as bad on the left. Yeah. Uh, You've got... um, I usually like to use people's names, but I can never remember her whole name. But AOC, the gal from uh, oh from uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, right? Uh, you know, she and her team have, have made it abundantly clear that they're going to go after any any Democrat who's not a socialist. Yeah. <coughs> and well, when when you do that, I mean, now now you're scaring the crap out of the Democrats. I mean, they all got you know the better paying jobs than they could find in the private sector. Oh yeah. And and uh, and, and they don't have to do any work. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just have to get reelected every two years. But but if if she starts targeting now, I, I think her 15 minutes are probably going to be up relatively soon. I don't think she's I, uh, I, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think she's going to be more than a two term congressperson yep. because she appears to be. And it's it's not 
it, it's pretty widespread, the media on this right now. It appears that she's not taking care of her constituents. Yeah. And, and you can go back to Ron Paul and look at this. The reason Ron Paul was allowed to be a libertarian gadfly in the Congress was because he took wonderful care of his constituents. Yeah. It was all about constituent service. Yep. And they, they, they still rave about what wonderful people he had in his office in D.C., but mostly in Sugarland, Texas. Yeah. Hundred percent, absolutely, and and AOC didn't even open up offices for a while, and that sort no. of thing. She fought. I mean, whether you agree with it or not, the headline is always the political piece, right. and she cost them twenty five thousand jobs. Yes, and no matter what, it, like no matter what side you're on, right. if you agree, disagree, like it, don't like it, they're going to always look at it as you cost us twenty five thousand jobs. Right, and the thing, my biggest issue, and you didn't even open up an office to talk about it. Exactly, right. and my biggest issue since she's been there has been I like it's just the ineptitude because when she came out with the Green New Deal and I talked about this on another podcast but I total I I will never I if I were her constituent I would never forgive her for this because she had a couple of things in the Green New Deal that it even in my I hate government position looked at and went there are some really intelligent arguments here you know when she's taught like the whole cow flatulence issue that was in the green new deal it's like it looks stupid it looks like an idiotic issue but when you look at it for what it is from a scientific biologic physiologic perspective cows shouldn't be fed corn by the way that's subsidized by the federal government Absolutely. because corn creates methane within their system as you can imagine it comes out as farts right and if they were on a grass-fed diet which right. they have always been on and evolution has built them to do that it wouldn't do anything right if you present it that way, it's an intelligent argument. When you present it in other ways and say that planes shouldn't use jet fuel, you lose all credibility. You can't, you can't step up. You can't. You can't say planes shouldn't use jet fuel and then hop on a jet and go somewhere. This is this yeah, is, exactly. Th th this is the Davos crowd showing up to uh, showing up to Davos to talk about about how we're destroying the environment, and each one brings their own jet. Yeah, hundred percent. Can't do it. No, you know? no, and you have to. I mean. You have to be able, you know. Th there are a lot of things. If once you get elected, and I'll give them, I'll give every senator and con or uh, representative that much credit. You can bullshit right up until the moment that you represent a people, and the moment that you represent a constituency, you have to be smarter than me. Right. And it can be you hire every advisor you can, and you become intelligent. Sure. Fantastic. Sure. You can do anything you need to, but you can't do that. Right. And that's where she. That's where she fucked up. Yeah, I, 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 I think <laughs> I think it's a short-term deal. Uh, yep. You know, th I've watched the left do this so many times. I mean, I'm 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 58 years old. I watched uh, I watched George McGovern in '72, <coughs> uh, and the li the, uh, the the liberals destroyed the Democratic Party. And and yeah, they got Jimmy Carter in '76, but they 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 Jimmy was a nice man. They could have had far better people, mm -hmm. but uh, they they. You know, they, they 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 went be above and beyond, and it cost them. Yeah, politics Ever is a long-term yeah. fight. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you, I think, and again, another one, one of the individuals that you can agree with or not, but I thought it was a wonderful point. Ben Shapiro was talking about when he was part of the Never Trump movement. He was talking about, um, like, when somebody would ask him, like, well, if you if you're wrong or if you lose when we get Hillary, and he was like, well. 
if we don't lose in 76, or if we, yeah, if we win in 76, we don't get Reagan. If we lose in this point, or if we win in this election, we don't get this person. It's like, sometimes, as bad as it sounds, you've got to hit the low right. to get the high. Right. And whether, again, you agree or disagree with, with who gets elected and who doesn't, sure. politics is a long game. There's four years between elections, and most people these days seem to get elected for eight years at a time. That's right. We're on about a... I've sort of mapped it out. Post-Second World War, we're on about a nine-and-a-half to ten-year cycle of interest. Yeah. And and for some, that works out to eight years. Some works out to 12 years. We had Bush-Reagan, mm-hmm. Reagan-Bush. Uh, <coughs> but essentially, you've got about ten, call it ten years of, of time where you're in, the, you're in the driver's seat. Yeah. And, you know, they, they talk about, you know, how, how, could, uh, how could Donald Trump be elected? Well, it was pretty inevitable. He had yeah. to really screw up to not get elected, and he's going to have to really screw up. I mean, the the fact that they, the, the fact that, uh, that that Mueller didn't take him down is literally. <sighs> I mean, it's it, 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 that's odds. a moment. Well, and, and now um, the zealots that that want to impeach uh, have looked at it and said, "Well, maybe we should just beat him at the ballot box." That's and th- they're most of them are bright enough to know. At the end of the day. They're sta- they, they understand statistics. They're in the business of getting elected and reelected. Mm-hmm. They know what the odds are against taking out a sitting pro- sitting president. The one thing that would go Trump's direct would go against Trump at this point in time would be a recession. There's yeah. probably nothing more. You know, his 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 job earning for a, a decrease in interest rates is all about keeping the economic boom alive. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants to be president for a second term. Can't imagine why, but <laughs> yeah. uh, but. Uh, it, 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 assuming that the economy stays whole, there's not a one who can beat him. And, and what's comical is, according to today's numbers, Biden is ahead. Yeah, and so is Hillary. Yeah. <laughs> but but, but no, B- Biden is ahead of the, re- the Democratic field. Which, oh, yeah, after being on campaign for six days. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's absolutely crazy. So yeah. I, I, I don't think the Democrats are going to go all out crazy and I don't think they're going to see anybody who's really going to be able to make a stand against him. I think, I, I think it's, I think it's an eight year deal no matter how you look at it. I totally agree. I mean, when he, when it was finally down to he and Hillary, I remember having a conversation. I probably bring this up too much, but I had a conversation with my wife because she was like, I don't think there's any chance. And I said, I do. And here's why. If you really break down again, going back to the numbers, if you really break down the numbers, there are there is one sector in America that votes and they vote constantly, and that is the middle class, especially blue collar, white male, mm-hmm. and he appealed to that group, like, I, I can't think of the last person that did, Reagan, probably Re- yeah, probably Reagan, right. So if you're looking at that, they vote, they vote, they vote. I mean, I'm 32, but I'm like the elder of the millennial generation. Sure. We don't vote, right. like it, uh, and I hate it, and it sucks because I've been at every ballot box as, yeah. as long as I can remember. But we don't vote; right. they do. My dad, blue collar, white male American, shows up to vote always, absolutely, and that's yeah. And if you appeal to that, you're going to win. That's ex- and especially in this at this point, it's like Biden. Biden's a great politician. Like you can't get around it. You can agree, disagree with them, and I do on a number of issues. That guy is a great politician. And that's the reason he's been around for a long time. But right now, he represents a 
very far left Democratic he Party. He's uh, yeah he. And I feel like he's going to try to bring him back, but the moment you try to bring him back... I don't know how much he tries to bring him back. If you look at Biden's history, he was out there with the rest of them. Yeah. The majority of it. Yeah. So, I don't know. I feel like he's going to try to bring it back because he sees the the ebbs and flows. He sees the tides come in and out. But I could be wrong, and we could just have a a really entertaining election. I'm sure it will be regardless. It's going to be fun. All right, well, you'll come back on? I will. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.